1: Hi everyone and welcome back to what is sure to be an iconic episode of Summer House Hive. It's been a journey on Summer House season 5 thus far and I feel like episodes 8 and 9 were the peak of a lot of tensions that have been bubbling for a while and Since there's like kind of even like a supernatural or spiritual element to the fights that we see unfold, I felt like we should have a more spiritually connected guest come on the pod to really break it down. So, without further ado, let me introduce friend of the pod, intuitive Jamie Stein. Hi. Hi, Hi, Lara. How are you? I'm good. How are you?
2: I'm very good. I'm excited to be here.
1: I'm excited to have you. There's so much to kind of talk about. There's a lot to dig into. How are you how are you feeling just like emotionally about this journey so far?
2: You mean so far this season or where we're currently at in the season or just all of it?
1: Just all of it.
2: I mean, you know, my Summer House obsession, I feel like, has reached a fever pitch this season. I I really believe this is the best television show on air right now. I feel like it's Emmy-worthy. I feel like it's giving us everything that you could possibly want or expect from a television show. Um, there's real-life issues. It's moving. It's also laugh-out-loud comedy. Um, so... I I feel like Summer House is just getting better and better with each season. Um, I feel like where we are currently at, it, i I will admit to you, I feel a little bit overwhelmed about dismantling all of this because it's such a profound clusterfuck. And I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, part of what we're watching is that these people have been quarantined together. And so they really are in their own little universe, in their own little world. And I really think we're watching, we are watching the buildup of subtextual and unspoken energy and how it starts to, like when there is energy in a room that's being disowned or not claimed, for example, like in this case, I feel like Luke is really the the kind of the main star in the constellation seeing what that does to a group of people and where it starts to take them when there's someone who isn't kind of owning everything that's inside him where that takes them inside themselves where that takes them as a group how they're willing or not willing to tolerate what's coming up inside them and then how they start to deal with it or, again, not deal with it. So I feel like we're at a real critical moment in the summer house where the individual and the collective journeys are intersecting in a very volatile and illuminating way for each of them.
1: Totally. And also, in addition to them being quarantined and all of these, like the ownership slash not ownership of certain behaviors at play... I'm just remembering that last summer was just such a volatile shit show of emotions for the world and specifically America. And like they're not it's not like they're not getting like New York Times updates or like they're on their phones. They're seeing everything that's going on. And then also having to just like emotionally process that stuff. Like, even if you're not acknowledging it on the show, it still takes, like, an emotional toll. And I think that even bleeds into conflict.
3: Oh, for sure. Not that that's
1: necessarily at play, like, in this, but I think there's just the undertone of conflict in general at this time.
2: And I also think it mirrors—I mean, look, I'm really—just to get a little bit nerdy for a second— I actually do come from a background of having uh, certification like specifically in group facilitation. So I've been around the block when it comes to groups. I've been in countless groups. I've facilitated groups. It's still something I actually – in June, Esalen is actually – opening back up, up in Big Sur. And I'm going with the woman who trained me to assist a workshop of 30 plus people. It's like their first workshop that they're doing, like, you know, coming up. So this is like, this is my bread and butter, so to speak. So Mm -hmm. for me, I'm looking at these two episodes as one big group process and really what happens with group energy. And so just to go back to your point, it's like, we as the world, have been in a group process since last year. And I think, yeah, there's always two levels on which these things are working, right? There's the collective experience of what's happening, which, you know, in this case is a pandemic. And then there's the way that hits us all as individuals and where that takes us in our individual journeys. And so, yes, I think that. Model is happening on a microcosmic level within the summer house. Um, In this case, I guess the pandemic is kind of like Luke (laughs) and his disowned, (laughs) uh, you know, his disowned interior life. But yes, I also think we can't ignore that there is this broader conversation going on right now around what is happening in the macro collective of the world and where is that taking each of these individuals in their own individual journey in their little bubble within the larger bubble, you know, of humanity.
1: Yeah. Um, I love like, I love anything that starts out with a separation of the women and the men, mostly because I was shocked that there are the women far outnumber the men in the house. Mm-hmm, and I guess yeah. it's always, I guess it's always kind of been that way, but like now there are just three guys and is it six women? Hannah, Lindsay, Paige, Danielle, Sierra, uh, Amanda, Amanda, six women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I think the women are such a driving force of drama on this show. They plant a lot of seeds and specifically I think the younger women Mm -hmm. act as like this like hurricane of like just incitement to make drama happen. And you see it really at play like in this girls night where everything starts out as like, oh, it's like. They all, Hannah and Paige and Amanda and Sierra all tee each other up so well to, like, just take someone else down. Like, they all, and it's, like, kind of magical to watch because it's, like, I think as a woman and growing up, like, around girls and stuff, it's, like, that's very much how these kinds of friendship circles go at times where it's, like, you align yourself with other women and try and, like, ice this person out or whatever like it's all very catty but very like run-of-the-mill female experience but you see it happen here where they basically ask like who asked this question was it amanda or Paige? where she's like if you had to were the last people left in the world who would you procreate with? No, to of, course the human race? Yeah. <laughs> of course it
2: was Paige. Yeah, of course it never would be Amanda. Of course, it's, I have a lot to say about Paige, but no, of course it was Paige.
1: Yeah, but that is truly, and Paige does a really good job of just like she does. She gives up nothing herself, <laughs> exactly. But she stirs the fucking pot, and I think that I forgive her for not. Giving up the personal goods, like I'm, I'll take the pot stirring. I don't know what how long. I don't know what the longevity factor is of like a pot stir. Like how long you can go in that mode before you get like the villain edit, or you become the villain of a season. But right now, I'm loving it.
2: Yeah, I guess that's where you and I differ. I mean, I hear you. You're appreciating her from a television standpoint. Am I Mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have to admit, Paige, I've just never, I know a lot of people love Paige. I've never really warmed to Paige very much, mostly because my experience of her, honestly, I just feel like she's kind of, she, my experience of her is um, you know, the word sheltered comes to mind. The word spoiled comes to mind. I don't know. I guess she presents herself as coming from a working class background. So maybe not in terms of money, but in terms of, you know, feeling the energy of uh, someone who's been held up as the precious little girl in their family for a long time. And kind of everything that she does is gold. And there's something just kind of snotty about her. And um, I agree with you that she... Except there was one moment last season where she got drunk and she cried real tears about kind of the the impasse she was at with Perry. I think other than that, we've never had a moment of just genuine, raw, real vulnerability from her. And I also mm-hmm. feel like we've also never, ever had a moment of what I would call or experience like just real, genuine kindness towards her housemates. And I think for me, when I watch this show and I just see this group of combustible personalities and people who are really just throwing it all on the line, and I'll even include Hannah, who is someone I I typically have not liked Hannah for many seasons now, and I've considered her the true villain of Summer (laughs) House for many seasons now. But I will say... Hannah puts it out there. I mean, it's a mess, but she puts it out. And even Luke in his own way, he's trying not to put it out there. But because he's so clumsy at it, he ends up putting it out there. And I just feel like I'm looking at everyone else who's so vulnerable and everyone else who also I feel like has real moments of kindness and humanity. And then I look at Paige and I just see someone who really gets a lot of pleasure out of being on her perch and kind of Mm -hmm. a high horse and stirring shit up. But never really getting in the mix, and personally i don't I don't like it,
1: yeah, I understand that perspective, and I do agree that she keeps it's all image based for her yeah. right, so I don't think it fits her image to be vulnerable on the show like she I look to her for like a cute outfit like a perfectly flipped out hairstyle and like a snarky comment and then like making eyes like I I guess I don't I don't want more from her I just appreciate like what she's giving just from a strictly superficial image-based perspective like I don't I don't mind that but I agree like she's not she's not giving she's not giving us her soul
2: No, not at all. And I think what's interesting is that I never really had much of an issue with her, but I've actually noticed it's in these last few episodes that I've started feeling a little bit more agitated by her. And I think it's because I am feeling more... Meanness from her. I mean, I—I'll be honest. I've never liked the way the younger uh, women have treated Lindsay. It's actually—it's like I feel so protective of Lindsay. I, I feel like mm-hmm. um, I always experience her as such an outsider within the dynamic of the house. Well, per- particularly with the the younger women. Obviously, she's close with Carl and and with Kyle. But um, there's just kind of—I felt more of a poking energy from Paige this time around towards both Luke and Lindsay. And I mean, I know we'll get into it, but I think especially as you see that Luke and Lindsay are both getting genuinely upset and your response is just to keep poking, not only to keep poking, but to then also kind of weaponize their feelings against them of like, oh, look at your anger problem. That's the point where I'm just like, you're now veering into a territory that to me, I mean, maybe... Look in the history of reality TV. Is it anywhere near the worst that we've seen in terms of cruelty or mean spiritedness? No, but in in the in the heart based vibe of Summerhouse, this is starting to feel shitty to me. And I and again, I, I mean, I am a hubcap. So is that how you, am I saying it right? Like a hubcap? Yeah,
1: a hubcap. So Damn. I
2: I do feel very protective of Lindsay, and um, it just yeah, it started to feel a little. It started to feel a little gross to me, and a little bit like what what are you doing here? You know, and what's the price that's being paid for your, your kind of your, your low grade cruelty?
1: Yeah, it did. On my first watch, I was very much like on my first watch of both eight and nine, I was like, Luke sucks. Like, ha ha ha. Like look at him, go through it. Like I love to see it. And then my second watch by the end of episode nine. And then on my second watch of the episodes to take like notes and stuff, I was like, damn, like, I actually really feel for Luke. This was fucked up. And I think every... this The summer house, I think, usually always has one outsider in a season that will just get picked on and picked on and picked on and pushed to the absolute edge. Like, if someone did to me what they all did to Luke, I would leave and never come back. Like there would be the end. I would be like destroyed. Or if someone did to me what they did to Jules, where they literally sat her down in a room and they all were like, we don't like you. And then she had to be like, okay, I understand that. And like, I'll try harder to like make you guys like me. And they were like, thank you. Like I would kill myself. So like, I'm not, I don't want to be on like the bottom of the summer house totem pole. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it, I think it is a very specific kind of personality that ends up being that person. I think it's like maybe a combination of uh, maybe it's like kind of the people that are the dumbest, like intellectually, they end up there at the bottom. And then you have Jordan, who had just wasn't necessarily dumb, but just lacking any sort of self awareness whatsoever,
2: yeah, I mean, it seems to be the people like if i if I try to connect the energetic thread between Luke Jules, and Jordan, uh, we could even go back as far as christina season one. I know you haven't really
1: i know i'm a, i'm really I have not done my proper homework. Please forgive me, my hive. <laughs> I
2: will I, I wanna just give like a shout out to the first two seasons. I think they're better than people give them credit for, and I actually think there's fertile ground in there, particularly mm-hmm. for for really understanding the context of today's main players, because I, I don't think you really understand Carl's cruelty. Towards the women until you 've seen the first season, and also really seeing the evolution of kyle and amanda 's relationship it 's very revealing, I think, so i 'm mm-hmm. just going to kind of you know put my little uh, two cents in there for the first two seasons, um, but yeah, coming back to Jordan Jules and Luke. It's weird because obviously all the Summer House people in some way have disowned feelings or disowned energy or blind spots. We could call them blind spots.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But there is something about Jules, Jordan, and Luke. They feel very disconnected from themselves. Very out of reality with who they actually are. And there's sort of a deep unwillingness to be an emotional Authenticity or an emotional mess to some degree, and I think there like now that we 're talking about this, I do think there 's something about this group where that is very provocative. And I think it does get them agitated and rather than kind of like staying with their agitation and sort of sitting with, well, what is this revealing to myself about me? Like, what are these feelings in myself that I don't want to tolerate? They instead just kind of focus all their energy on the person who's disconnected from him or herself and they just want to poke and they want to poke and they want to poke. And that's kind Mm -hmm. of how they deal with it. Then they kind of have remorse later, but their initial impulses to poke
1: yeah and and push that person either to an edge that they fall over in Luke's case or just get that like kick that person out like just say you're not even here anymore which they did to Jordan or I guess just like put a person in their place like Jules is such a mystery because I was like (laughs) It felt, I mean, she. it was an unceremonious departure because there was no real departure. It was just, it's like Jules never existed.
2: It's true. It's, it's true. It's so
1: bizarre. And I wonder, like, I need to know what happened. I feel like no one's talking about Jules. <laughs> and I have, like, stayed in a mental place of Jules, like, waiting for some sort of Jules closure because I, I actually liked her, like, in the house. Like, I liked seeing someone that was... A total outsider, like seemingly had no connection to anyone. And I, or was she brought in by Jordan? Or yeah, like her
2: connection. Well, she was brought in by Hannah, who, okay. like, she met him through Jordan. She met her through Jordan. But okay. Hannah was the link. She was the ostensible link.
1: Okay. But it seemed like she wasn't, like, clo- super close with anyone. And then she made the fatal mistake of getting too close to Jordan. And. <laughs> But yeah, I just have I'm lacking any Jules closure need need any intel that any readers may have about like the how and the why of why Jules is no longer in the house.
2: I mean, as you're talking, it's it's almost like the words I hear when I feel into the 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 part of the group that likes to poke these people is almost like, let's see what you're made of. You know, Mm -hmm. like, are you ready to, like, can you hang with us? Like, it's almost like a hazing thing. Like, yeah, we're going to kind of push you to, like, we sense the weakness. We sense how guarded you are. We sense how self-aware you are. We sense how you're kind of standing at the edge of the pool. We're basically going to push you in and see if you will swim or drown. And I think what's so fascinating about Jewel is that she i mean in her own weird way she really swam and she came back to play i mean not just rebounding from the humiliation but then actually went straight to probably the person who was the ringleader in terms of like that final surge of aggression which was carl in terms Mm -hmm. of kicking her and jordan out and like started to commence a flirtation slash trust with him
1: yeah a power move, and I was excited to see where that could go, and then it was taken from us too soon, but you're right about like the the hazing and it the house has and the show specifically has a very lord of the flies esque mm-hmm. energy where there's always there's always gonna be one person that gets like the really gets the brunt of everyone's aggression but I'm I'm I don't think Paige or Hannah have really gone through that with like a collective group and I think Hannah knew that it was heading in that direction and saved herself with an apology that didn't seem it was like performance art but it was not <laughs> necessarily heartfelt but it did what it needed to do to then switch and shift focus on Luke and I think that Hannah maybe unbeknownst to her or beknownst to her like she knows how to get the focus off of her and on to someone else and like I think that that was a masterful move of like the summer house chess on her part.
2: Well, this is why, I mean, there's so much that's coming to me as you say this, but this is why I've I've regarded her as the villain of Summer House since last season. Because, I mean, if you look at the drama of last season, Hannah was at the center of everything. I mean, Hannah, everything Hannah's doing this season, she did last season. She was just much more stealthy about it. Um, I mean, I remember, because do you remember there was all that conflict between, um, Amanda, I'm sorry. Yeah, Amanda and Paige and Lindsay which culminated at that roast where Paige just tore into Lindsay. Um again, like I just say this with my hand on my heart cuz I feel so bad for my precious little Lindsay. But um you know, that whole thing got started because Hannah Went to Lindsay and was basically like, look, I don't think that Amanda and Paige, you know, have my back in my relationship. Like, she was complaining about them to Lindsay. And mm-hmm. I just feel like here's Lindsay, who you know is this wild, reactive, fiercely loyal woman who also, I think, feels kind of on the outside from the younger girls. And she shows up and starts having Hannah's back. And she, you know, you know cheerleads her and colludes with her. And so what does Hannah do? She goes right back to... Amanda and Paige, and basically says, "Well, this is what Lindsay is saying about you," and takes no ownership of like, "Well, you guys, I actually went to her and was complaining about you. I was actually enlisting her support." She just basically positions it as like, "This is what Lindsay has to say." So then, Amanda and Paige go to Lindsay, and like fireworks ensue, and they're yelling at each other. And I think one time it even happened on Lindsay's birthday. Lindsay is left in tears. And Hannah is just sitting there with nothing to say about it. Like, no, you know what I mean? No kind of acknowledgement of, hey, I stirred this up. And then, like, days later, once again, she gets into it with Amanda and Paige. Who does she go running and crying to? Lindsay. Mm -hmm. And once again, Lindsay supports her. And then once again, (laughs) Hannah runs back and tells. So she whips the house into a frenzy constantly.
1: She She did it in... At the tail end of Girls' Night, or like planted the seed, and then like you see, like she plants the seed by going to Paige and being like, "I got a DM from the psychic who told me something that happened in the past," which was classically like not a psychic move. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's just be honest about that. And then, then Paige starts the or Paige and Amanda. Amanda gets looped in, and. She's interesting to me because she likes to be a part of she likes being a part of the drama and likes playing into it, but then also wants to like play both sides and be like, calm down. It's okay, Or like like because later on she goes to Lindsay. I mean, we'll get there in a second, but I was just like, Amanda, you need to like decide whose side you're really on or like where you actually stand, because like the playing both sides isn't working for me. But so then Paige or someone does the, like, who would you sleep with in the end of the world scenario. Everyone says something, like, we have Sierra and Carl, Paige and Carl. Hannah says she would hate fuck Kyle, which I think is, like, a fuck you to Amanda. Like, just a low-key. Like, that feels to me, like, if I were Amanda, I'd be like, what the fuck? Kind of silently. I mean... (laughs) <laughs>
2: this is i mean
0: like, it it's, just it's, seems it's a whole like par other... for the course yeah but i mean did you see I the preview
2: just... for next week where mm-hmm. des and hannah like go out of their way apparently to have sex in kyle and uh, amanda's bathroom and, and des yeah, makes a which comment about
1: so weird
2: should i go jerk off on their bed i mean there's so much host- like sec- weird sexual aggression and hostility when it mm-hmm. comes to like kyle and I mean I've said for a while that I sense the place in um Hannah that I feel like is kind of attracted to Kyle. Because I think she has associated him with the dad of the house, and I think I think there's a part of her that longs for that dad energy. And I think there's a place where she is attracted to him, and I think there's a place where she hates herself for it. And that's part of like yeah. what we see. So I think it's there's so truth Freudian. in what she's No, totally. Because I also think I, I mean if we can digress just for a moment to a little bit of a read, like I think I know that Hannah and her father have acknowledged some of their dynamic, like on the show, he apologized for like being tough on her, but my kind of initial sense of that whole thing, I would be very curious to know about Hannah's relationship, Hannah's father's relationship with her mother Mm -hmm. and whether they have a close relationship, because I just got this vibe that not only was he very hard on her but it's almost like i sense this intensity in this closeness in their relationship and it i experience it also as a kind of heat in their relationship and you know this is a dynamic that plays out in families a lot where if you know the mother and the father if they're not kind of in deep intimate connections sometimes the parent goes to the kid or the kids to kind of get surrogate needs met and i'm just wondering if there was kind of unspoken or covert heat or even sexual aggression or frustration in the way that Hannah's father was kind of mentoring her and being a tennis coach and a dad, um, I can just imagine that there may have been a lot of sort of... Oh, I'm sorry. Let me... I, I typed my notes in my email. So I had my email. Oh, yeah. Let me just close my email. Um, I can just imagine that there were... A lot of wires, underground wires that may have felt like they were getting crossed. And so then when you're Hannah and you have this kind of really ambivalent relationship, you know, with the father figure where maybe there was kind of unspoken emotional intimacy, unspoken sexual aggression. And it's like push and it's pull and it's love and it's hate. And then there's someone like Kyle, who I do think for her very much embodies like the dad or the fatherly. I mean. Again, she said it last episode, but this is something I've been saying for months now. I think that she, um, you know, she experiences him that way. So I think there's going to be a lot of, a lot of mixed emotions and a lot of yearning and a lot of hatred, a lot of aggression, a lot of vulnerability. And I think we see that play out. So when she said that, I actually was like, I think she's telling the truth. I think part of her does want to hate fuck Kyle. And I also agree with you that part of that's a fuck you to Amanda. And I absolutely think part of her is so resentful that um the father figure the father archetype has kind of come through for amanda in a way that the father archetype has not come through for her because kyle has to some degree uh, no kyle has in a big way cleaned up his act and he has come through for amanda in a big way and i think there's something for hannah that makes her furious like why does he Mm. come through for you and not for me
1: Yeah, I 100% agree with that read. Like, absolutely. I think that there's a lot of resentment and possible jealousy with Amanda. Mm -hmm. And the triad of, like, Amanda, Paige, and Hannah is interesting to watch because I think Amanda always has a position of power because she's aligned with Kyle And therefore, since he's, like, the king of the house, she is the queen. Mm -hmm. But, so Hannah has no choice but to kind of respect her and keep her looped in to that friendship. And I think Paige and Amanda are friends as well. Like, but I think that Hannah will take any chance she gets to, like, kind of twist the knife or make a barb or make a comment here and there in the spirit of just being, like, a comedian, quote unquote.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, what a comedian! Um, yeah, mm-hmm. no, totally. She she definitely has an axe to grind, and I also feel like. Um, yeah, there's just a place where she wants to take something out against Kyle as being the bad dad. And I think I think part of it too is in the place where Kyle has this Peter Pan complex and there's a lot I could say about that. But I think in the place where Kyle has a Peter Pan complex, it is so committed to being an eternal child and I do think there's a part of him that very angrily is saying no, I won't grow up. You can't make me to have this young woman make him into a father figure and not just a father figure, but like a crappy father figure at that. I do think there's a part of Kyle. That's kind of like talk to the hand, Hannah. Like I think part of him really wants to kind of ice her out energetically. Um, mm-hmm. and I think for Hannah, again, I'm speaking on the unconscious level here. Um, yeah. I think for Hannah to sense the father saying to her, basically, I don't want to see you here. You or acknowledge you. I mean, I mean, What could be more triggering to someone like Hannah? And so for Hannah, I kind of hear a voice that's saying, you will, like, I will not be ignored. Like, you're going to deal with me and I'm going to point this out and I'm going to point this out and I'm going to point this out. So to your point, like, I think, yeah, she's going to take any chance she can to kind of rub their faces in something because there is something that she so desperately wants to be seen and heard.
1: Totally. And also in, like... After us kind of and you breaking this down, the ultimate power move of this discussion of like, who would you procreate with after Hannah says that she would hate fuck Kyle, then the conversation turns to like, how is Kyle in bed? And then Amanda has the ultimate clap back with being like, he actually is the only man that I have ever like simultaneously orgasmed with, which I was like, okay, karmically, the loop feels closed on Mm -hmm. this like. On this, like, not, if, we, if it was a game of tennis, it would be like, whatever, love, Paige, <laughs> Hannah, zero, or how or the fuck you score tennis? Who knows? Well, and I but, was going to... Uh, oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead.
2: Well, no, I was just going to say to your previous point, I also think that, like, in addition to Hannah being the unofficial queen of the house, like, the biggest power move is the fact that, you know, say what you want about it. Hannah and Kyle are in a working relationship and yeah, it's not perfect. No relationship is, but they actually, you know, work on it and it's grown You and mean it's Amanda evolved. and Kyle? Oh, did I just say Hannah?
1: Yeah, 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 but just clarifying.
2: Yeah, Amanda and Kyle are in an actual working relationship and that's something, I mean, clearly that's something Hannah doesn't have the hang of. Clearly it's something that Paige doesn't have the hang, on, hang of and I, I do think there's a way that they, both Hannah and Paige, I guess, I think less so, I think Paige is sort of Coming around more now, but I do think that there's a way that they do in the past, they've liked to sort of hang on to Kyle's transgressions from the past because it is a way that they can feel a bit superior to Amanda and sort of cast her in the role as the kind of hapless girlfriend who's hanging on to something that's bad for her. When in reality, to kind of go back to the beginning of this discussion, Amanda is kind of the one of the three who's actually willing to be in a messy relationship where actual feelings are on the line and there's true vulnerability and there's actual reciprocity. And that's something neither one is really, I mean, we'll see now what the situation is with Hannah and Dez, but in terms of their lives on the show, that's something that neither one has really been able to claim for herself.
1: Yeah. How do you feel about Lindsay? Like, she's definitely taking a stand on Team Luke, and I think she's tuned in to, like, his sensitivities around being this outcast and, like, Mm -hmm. is trying to make a point to be, like just to have his back Mm -hmm. and i'm like i think that this i think it partially comes from a place of horniness and a a yearning (laughs) for male attention i think it also comes from her like feeling like an outcast at times or knowing how that must feel and being sensitive to it um but i want to get your take on that
2: Yeah, I agree with you. I I really think there is an actual bond between them as far as they are the two outsiders of the house. I guess in a way, technically, Danielle is an outsider, but she seems so comfortable in her role. Like, Danielle's doing Danielle, and there were actually some amazing moments of Danielle doing Danielle in this latest episode. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that Luke and Lindsay, yeah, are are united in kind of feeling like outsiders. And I think that, um, I think with Lindsay... My vibe off her, honestly, is that I do think she's more hurt by feeling like an outsider of the women than she lets herself know. I think it's kind of a pain and a sorrow. Because, again, remember, much of her issues stem specifically from the abandonment of her mother. So we're specifically talking about being on the outside of a group of Women And again, I know I've already said this, but it's like each time I talk about it, I just feel such tenderness in my heart. It really takes me to a place of compassion for Lindsay. And um, so I think I almost kind of feel like in the place where Lindsay maybe doesn't want to fully let herself know how deeply she's affected by feeling like an outsider in the house. When she sees Luke, I think it touches something inside of her and that she, you know, she wants to look out for him and extend him kindness that maybe she would also like to receive or like that she would almost want to extend to herself. Um, I will say, I do think that she's attracted to Luke and I do think Lindsay definitely could have a role in the hay with him. I think she knows he's not like her kind of boyfriend material. So it would be easy for her just to have some fun with him. I think Luke, on the other hand, it would never work because, you know, Lindsay would never play by the rules that the other mm-hmm. women you know because luke's whole mo relies on women who to some degree are going to play a game with him and kind of keep it cool and like i said play by the rules Lindsay is like a bull in a china shop when it comes to men and she's just ready to devour them i think because it's so hard for her to tolerate the possibility of like surrendering into an actual mm-hmm. slow space with a man where she actually could be truly rejected in a way where she's not somehow precipitating it aka controlling the situation so i do kind of feel in luke like he might not ever go there with her because he can't control her but um yeah i think that there is a deep connection with them as outsiders in the house for sure
1: do you think that they've had sex do you believe that rumor where do you stand on it
2: You know, I didn't know what to believe the first time because I believed Lindsay the first go around. Luke seemed shifty to me the first go around. But when I rewatched the episode, I actually, well, one, there's this, the most damning moment of Luke. I think it's like right when they're going into commercial and they ask him point blank, did you sleep with him? And they cut to him kind of nervously laughing And I did realize watching it again, uh, that kind of looks like an editing trick, especially Mm because when they come back, they don't play it that same way again. So that and also basically what Luke says in response is um, he says something like, why are you asking me this? And so, you know, Paige and Amanda are kind of like, well, why wouldn't you just say no? But the truth is, if I'm Luke... And I can tell that people are kind of poking at me and prodding me. And there's there's a sense in the house that people are ganging up on me. And then I have these two kind of mean girls coming up to me, clearly starting to stir shit up. And then if they, let's just say it's not true. Let's just say they lay this baseless rumor at my feet. Mm -hmm. I could easily see myself in that position kind of being like, I'm not answering your question because I'm not going to play into whatever game you're doing here. So like basically tell me what's going on, clue me in on, you know, whatever information is out there and then maybe I'll answer your question. So at this point, I'm going with, I believe that they didn't have sex. Okay. What do you, but I'm curious what
1: you think. I don't know what to believe because honestly, Vanderpump Rules season two, the reveal of Kristen and Jax, that made me question everything. And then, I think for Bravo, it really did wonders for just any sort of franchise they ever have again because it was one of the few times where an actual, like, a rumor gets thrown down that is proven to be true. So, in a sense, like, I I always expect that same thing to happen again. Like, it wouldn't shock me if then later it does come out that Lindsay and Luke slept together. But at the same time... Do I think of Lindsay as being a cheater? No, I don't I don't see that for her. Like that would mean that she cheated on her boyfriend. I don't think that she's that type of woman.
2: Also there were just things that she was saying that to me just felt out that. Like kind of when she was kind of going crazy on the phone and she's like, "When did I even have time to do this?" Like I don't know, to me <laughs> mm-hmm. it just it didn't feel performative. It felt like someone again who is getting sort of picked on by people And then sort of like this is sort of the latest game they're playing and she's just having a reaction. But I will say I am a little bit naive in the sense that it is so hard for me to imagine being on camera and enacting some elaborate lie. Like if you and I, let's say, have a secret, like let's say the two of us have slept together and we're Mm -hmm. acting like we have not And then I sit here with cameras on me kind of pretending with you like Lara I just can't believe they're saying we slept together like it's just so hard for me personally to ima- I just I'm a big believer in the tr- the truth will set you free you know what I mean like that's how mm-hmm. I like to live more or less so it's just so hard for me to wrap my brain around the mentality that you have to have of like I'm now going to perform this grand illusion for the cameras now yeah. that said as of a Doty.
1: Po- that's a Kristen Doty mentality. Well, exactly. <laughs> Which it's is like kind of a one in a million mentality.
2: Well, or maybe it's not. I mean, that's the thing. It's happened, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so clearly this is something other people do. So this just might be my own naivete. I want to believe they didn't cheat. I'm open to it if they did.
1: Yeah, I'm open. I mean, I'm open to anything. And I, isn't there like a tease of them potentially hooking up later in the season anyways was that a thing doesn't she like stop in his doorway and go hello luke i think that
2: i think they teased i mean i think like in the in the super tease from the beginning of the season they cut like hannah they didn't say a psychic told me Lindsay fuck Luke. They just show Hannah saying Lindsay fuck Luke. And then I think they mm-hmm. cut to like Lindsay having a flirty moment with like they made it seem in the teaser oh, they made like it
1: seemed like it's gonna happen this season.
2: Yeah. As opposed okay. to like, oh, there's a rumor that it happened.
1: Got it. Um yeah, Paige and Amanda are clearly like toying with him. And I see like I agree he was definitely shifty in that moment, but yeah, these it's like they're two cartoon cats or something. They're like the Siamese cats.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, what? in the tramp.
2: Yeah. I'm curious. Like, what did you think? Did you think Paige's motivation in all of this was just to stir up drama? Is that your vibe on this? Because she was so invested in. She ran with this hook, line, and sinker. I
0: think
1: it's stirring up drama. It's like her friendship with Hannah is obviously really important to her. So she'd like to out Luke as being like, I think if it's true, she's now outing Luke as being like this really bad guy and like everyone can see what she originally saw quote to quote her it's also I think to have a one-up on Lindsay and I think she likes like Paige is so zipped up in a lot of ways and so like flawless and perfect and Lindsay's a little bit more of like she's just more messy like and I think that that is a real turnoff for Paige. I think she mm-hmm. thinks that she's much better than that. So a mm-hmm. chance to prove Lindsay's messiness to everyone, mm-hmm. it really excites her as well. Yeah. And so I think that's another motivation. <laughs>
2: And I I could even take it to a darker level if you want to take it to a darker level. Yeah, take it
1: there. Okay.
2: So (laughs) because, you know, my kind of like armchair read on page is, you know, in the place where she does feel very sort of sheltered and smothered, and we've seen glimpses of like her really close relationship with her parents. I always just get this vibe off her that this is someone who who was spoiled, who was sheltered, who was kind of like, oh, Paige, you know, you're our our little girl, you're our little princess. And I just get this feeling like it may have actually been a smothering experience, like a loving experience in a lot of ways, but a smothering experience in this place where she's cast as a special little girl in the family. And I just get this. It's almost like when I feel into it, I just sort of feel like I feel this place in Paige. It's sort of like curling inward and like that there's not room or space for her to say, like, enough. You know what I mean? Like, this energy is almost too much, and part of me wants to have a no, and I want to individuate, and I don't feel like there's permission to. And I feel like, you know, with someone like that, because this dynamic is so couched externally in love, I can imagine how if, if, if your page, and if, you know, if what I'm saying has some truth to it, you might really feel like you have no right to be angry. You have no right to have an issue with this because it's like, look at everything they've done for me. Look at how much they love me. And so I just feel like my sense with Paige is kind of like, there is like her power and her mileage comes from being like kind of what you're saying. Like, the the put together little girl the princess who has front page news and everything looks perfect and i'm on my high horse and you know it's like this is sort of mm-hmm. the part that she plays and so i think when she looks at lindsay yes is a lot of it about how messy she is but i mean oh this feels so dark it's also the place where like she knows that like lindsay has abandonment issues and she knows that lindsay comes from a fractured family and if there's kind of any place in page that sort of doesn't want to, that wants to remain invested in the narrative of her own kind of perfect family and how close they are and how loving they are. I could kind of see even more taking pleasure in fucking with someone like Lindsay who's sort of reactive in the place where she had a fractured family because it sort of allows Paige to continue to feel better and superior about her own family unit because she's unwilling to look at the places in herself where she's actually got issues with her family.
1: That's really deep. Like who better to pick on than I know. Lindsay. Yeah. That,
2: doesn't it break your heart a little bit?
1: I know. A hubcap for life though. <laughs> <laughs> when Lindsay finally like I like too that Lindsay will just stand up for herself no matter what. Like she holds her own. Like you're never gonna like shut her down. You know what I mean? Like she's a fucking fighter. And she comes back at the girls and she's like her screaming at them on that balcony going, do you know who the fuck I am? With like a (laughs) martini glass and her like spa robe robe from Girls (laughs) Night. Yeah, I was living for that. Like that is to me like, like I see, I see like a scary version of Lindsay, but I also see like a powerful version of Lindsay who's like backlit by the spotlight. It's like, (laughs) I'm just like, I'm in awe. Like she's both monstrous and powerful in that moment.
2: Well, and this is, you know, to me, this is, yeah, this is the exact moment where I really started. Things were taking a turn because I just feel like at this point, if your page, I would say, um, Hannah too, although I'll give Hannah a little bit more of a pass because she is invested in the Luke of it all. But I just feel like if your Greek chorus page and okay, You've run with this little storyline. You're producing the show great. But at this point, when you see where this is taking Lindsay, I, I I don't know. Maybe this is asking too much of Paige. Maybe it's asking too much of a reality TV mm-hmm. show member. But I just see when, it, when you see where this is taking her, for you at that point to keep going and, like I said earlier, to then kind of use Lindsay's anger against her and to get ma- – I mean – Look, this is Paige's M.O. Can we go back to... I mean, the whole genesis of Giggly Squad. It's just, it, that's a podcast? It is was, that what that...
1: Yeah, Giggly Squad was, like, based on Kyle calling them um, that the when he Squad. felt like they were being really disrespectful at dinner. Yeah, Which, the by Giggly the way, Squad.
2: they were being disrespectful. Like, this is what I'm saying. It's like... <laughs> Every single time Kyle spoke, they started muttering to each other and giggling in the corner and sort of being provocative. And they knew it was pissing Kyle off and they kept doing it. And then when Kyle finally got upset, I just feel like, again, that's the point where Paige could be like, you know what, Kyle, I was taking the piss. Like, I'm sorry. Like, you know what I mean? And instead mm-hmm. she gets on her high horse and she's like, Kyle. Kyle. Look at this anger. I was laughing. Like, you know, you're mad at me because I was laughing. And it's a similar thing by the pool where Paige starts getting angry at Lindsay for being so defensive. And it's like, Paige, this is where you're losing me because you are poking. And then once you get your reaction, you're actually, like, getting cruel here. And I know that it's – I don't think she's aware of what she's doing. But as a viewer, it's where I start really cooling my jets on Paige and kind of saying, Mm -hmm. like – Where's your fucking emotional life? When do you get defensive, Paige? Like you, you throw nothing on the table, but you, you poke around other people's emotional lives.
1: Yeah, and you sit there with like your hair and makeup and bikini looking perfect, and then like stir the pot. And then meanwhile, Hannah, who is the person that. Began this rumor is completely silent, which I'm just like, Always. now would be the time for you to speak up and like clarify where this like comes from. And I also just loved Lindsay being like, we all get hit up with random DMs by random psychics. Like, that I'm sure is a thing that happens with these people. Like, I can't imagine how many people must try and like DM them, trying to like start shit or be their friend or they develop like i feel like the fans develop these like parasocial relationships with bravo liberties and like insinuate themselves into the narratives or at least attempt to and so it's interesting to see how that can be taken and run with and then you see it on the show like i'm sure whoever dm'd Hannah about (laughs) Lindsay and Luke sleeping together is like having the fucking week of her life because it's now like her DM is being referenced on the show. <laughs>
2: Do you think it's on her website now? Like as Maybe. unseen this is like on... <laughs> her
1: inception moment where she's like which I'm like if you're worth your salt as an intuitive like you don't go doing that shit in well, my I, opinion.
2: That's why I was like I kind of watch this episode it's like am I missing the boat here? Should I be DMing random Bravo celebrities <laughs> and just being like Kyle like I think you need to be on the lookout for Garcelle because I have a feeling she's doing XY (laughs) iron z to you i was like can you imagine
1: i can't i truly cannot imagine (laughs) then then yeah oh go ahead go ahead no but i was just
2: gonna say see in my mind's eye i imagine bravo celebrities or celebrities getting these kinds of dms and being like get the fuck out of here so to me what's really amazing is the fact that apparently hannah and Paige actually conduct a relationship with this person via dm and there's this reciprocal back and forth
1: yeah. Well, I think it's also their age because I feel like women in their 40s or 50s, like women of a certain ilk and age would not fuck with a random DM from like a random Bravo Liberty fan. I don't know. In that way where it then becomes like a produced storyline or an episode has like an episode arc. Well, I think... I'm sure I could be wrong because I'll bet that's actually happened on like other Housewives shows.
2: I mean, I think the one – what I could see as you're saying that, I think if the psychic or intuitive played in to the cast members any way that they're they're, like their victim or their martyr – because like when you say a woman in her 40s and 50s, I did just suddenly get a vision of like – I bet there's something I could say to Vicky Gumbleson. Like if I, as an intuitive, <laughs> came forth with information that like, mm-hmm. you know, made Vicky feel good about how she was wronged on the show in some way or she was unappreciated, I, I could maybe see her running with that.
1: True. I also am just like, okay, if you're not going to have the fucking psychic come on the show and stir the pot, then I don't want to hear about it. Like, I need like an Alison Dubois moment or bust or whoever that woman was that tried to facilitate the group therapy in Real Housewives of Utah, of Salt Lake City. Like, I need the psychic there in the flesh. I don't want to hear about, like, a rando that DM'd you that also claims to be a psychic.
2: Well, and the real queen, Tamara Judge, I mean, she brought on her psychic who cracked open the whole
1: Brooks not having cancer on Orange County. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Oh, that I'm not an was... OC watcher. Wow. Okay, That was a true psychic plot
2: point. Uh, Scott was his name. He came on and he, he didn't see Brooks having cancer and that's, that's what kind huge. of yeah
1: and that's what a real psychic
0: does
2: <laughs> <laughs> i mean it had already been in the blogs that he had kind of fake cancer in the past so i do kind mm-hmm. of question the mechanics of all that but you know well, he was a, he was the vessel he was the psychic yeah. vessel
1: this is the moment also where like amanda comes up to Lindsay, trying to like like calm her down after after like this reveal of the kyle stuff or no the reveal of the luke stuff And then I was just like, Amanda, don't like don't. And Lindsay's not buying it either. And then I just love like the drunken communication here (laughs) where it's like you have this really awkward situation that Amanda and Kyle must find themselves in a lot where it's like drama gets stirred up that would like basically kind of have to force them to take opposite sides and Amanda wants to be in with the girls, but so she's like entertaining the Lindsay and Luke of it all. But then she also doesn't necessarily want to like piss Kyle off or like uh, hurt Kyle's friend. So she kind of is trying to like make like peace here. And then when Lindsay starts yelling at Kyle, I just love when Amanda goes, don't fucking attack my guy.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're speaking to something that I was really confused by Amanda's position in all of this. And I found myself disappointed because it's true. It felt like she was more on the side of like picking on Luke, which is something I'm not used to from her. Because I feel like usually she kind of plays the role of, in a way, trying to mitigate Kyle's messes. So to see Mm -hmm. her more aligned with the mean girl energy but then yeah also being so quick to like insert herself in drama that just sort of felt needless and pointless at that point like i d- i didn't really feel like Kyle needed you know defending at that point it just left me really a little bit baffled about where ex- where exactly is Amanda in all this and maybe she was just drunk i don't know
1: um yeah i think it was just drunk i mean i think <laughs> her instinct to try and play both sides is very apparent but i think that's also just like her being drunk i just love it i love it when girls are like i ride or die for my guy (laughs) i ride for my guy like they just like will not have you talking shit about their guy it's just a really good female trope um (laughs) in my opinion so then luke texts sierra that the rumors aren't true and sierra lays her foot down and she says dude way too late to text Mm -hmm. so she's like totally rejected him at this point like there is no going back from like her shooting him down after he got her the flowers and then this tech stuff and then sierra says that her mom taught her the only thing open past nine or ten o'clock are gas stations and your legs Mm -hmm. which i'm all for setting boundaries and i think that if you don't want a guy to like text you after ten o'clock or whatever, you wanna make yourself unavailable, like that's all fine like you absolutely should. And I agree on some element. But I also am like, okay, nine o'clock seems a little bit that seems early. Like I would say don't text me past ten. Like I'm just not available for those kinds of text messages for from anybody. But definitely not. Like I'm not gonna text all night with a guy who is like interested in me.
2: Well, especially when you're living in the same house, you know, it's not like, I I don't know, it's not like they're both in LA and maybe he's texting for a booty call. I mean, these are people who probably text each other all day if, you know, someone's upstairs and someone's by the pool, you know? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it does sort of feel, you know, I don't want to say I was like disappointed in Sierra in these two episodes, that feels like an overstatement, but I do feel like, these two episodes were the first episodes where I was like okay you're you're like previously I, it's just like I felt like she had handled herself with such maturity and such clarity, and it does feel like something's building up in her now, and she actually ends up owning it um where she's getting passive aggressive like she's clearly angry I feel like you know when he first for example brought her the flowers she didn't feel angry to me she felt like yeah okay, like I see you for who you are i'm drawing a boundary and it Seems like by virtue of being in the house more and more with him, perhaps, um, she's like the anger is building and she's kind of actively cutting him out and cutting him down. And there is what I feel, you know, a real viciousness to it. There's an aggression to it and he's feeling it. And that's the place where I start to kind of feel for him a little because I think of Sierra were to really be na- continuing to navigate this in what I would call kind of like a self-responsible and adult way, I think probably the move, given that they're living together, is to maybe sit him down and to say, look, I'm seriously pissed at you and I have some hard feelings. You know what I mean? But it seems like instead, she's sort of funneling it into this, um, like just the Hannah of it. All. Like Luke's a bad guy. Luke's a bad guy. Dude, don't yeah. t- Like every single thing that he does... She's just getting agitated exactly and she's letting him know it and it's it's you know that's that's a difficult place to be when you're on the receiving end of that
1: Totally and I think it's a difficult place to be like her I'm taking like also her age into account yeah, more than ever which she's 24 years old mm-hmm. she's the youngest person in this house by like 5 years or something like that So that would be such a weird entry point for being a part of this group and like I think that she's handling this just like a 24 year old would handle this situation like she can get like there's more social currency if you align yourself with Hannah, Paige and Amanda and like you're gonna get I think the payoff for that is better too because you're gonna have more fun with them like you're going to have friends, you're going to have laughter, and then you're, like, protected as well. And then if you're aligned with Luke, it's like you're subjected to just his, like, guitar playing (laughs) and cheesiness and just general unimpressiveness as a man beyond just his good looks and nice body. So, and you've already slept with, you've already been down that road. There's no mystery there and no, like, tension like, sexual tension to, like, uncover or see through. So I see why she chooses to align with these girls. And then also it's just, like, it's not only aligning with them, but then, like, the criticizing luke for every like everything he does and then it's like she immediately runs to like hannah after she has that conversation with him about texting to like download her on like everything that just happened and like how he reacted and how it was like the worst conversation of her life and i'm just like oh this feels very like 20s to me and i kind of appreciated it for that because i'm like there's such like there's an intergenerational mix in the summer house now
2: it's true. And you're helping me to appreciate it more because in previous seasons, I was always like, I'm least interested in Hannah and Paige. Like, let me just stay with the people in the thirties, but you're right. There's now kind of a broad spectrum where we have the thirties, we have the late twenties and we even have the early twenties. And you know, I'm with you. I'm never not aware of how young. I mean, she's really, really, really young.
1: Yeah. I just didn't realize that until recently. Like I just thought, and I, I guess it was not that I thought of her as young, but I thought like, For some reason, like, Hannah and Paige were 25 or something like that. But they're actually, like, 29 or maybe even 30 now. So...
2: Because I think they were, I mean, they were like 26, I think, when they joined the show. So I do the same thing where I still think they're 26, but, you know, three years Mm -hmm. have gone by. So now they're 29. Um, Yeah. You know, I've just always been aware of Sirius' age because it's just been so interesting to me that Luke was dating someone so young. And -hmm. then that he was dating Hannah, you know, when she was like 24 or 25. So I've always just been interested in that. Pattern for him. But I think, yeah, like as far as Sierra, I mean, I think everything you're saying is absolutely right. And I think as far as like Sierra making a choice to align with the women. And I also think it is such a testament, though, to like how easy it can be when feelings are coming up for you. Because, and I want to say, Luke's a provocative guy, right? And there is a way in which he's got to take responsibility. Like, that's what happens when you disown strong, powerful energy in you, particularly if you then want to play the victim, which I do think that's what Luke likes to do. You're going to be provocative for people and you're going to stir things up. And so I do think, like, when I kind of feel into Sierra towards Luke... I just keep hearing the words, like, see me, hear me, see me, hear me. Like, I think she kind of, the more that they're together, she experiences him as, like, really what he is. Kind of like a blank slate. Like, just kind of this passive, uh, sort of mushy, weak-willed guy who doesn't really take a strong stand for anything particularly when it comes to women and there's like another woman involved so of course we know this is a young woman whose father literally didn't talk to her for years and it involved another woman you know so for me it's like when I feel into this building charge in Sierra it's like of course it's going to be easier for her to just make Luke a bad guy and to kind of get into this feeding frenzy with the other girls and it, like there's a charge here you know, let's just talk about how much luke sucks rather than kind of going inward into her own feelings of like holy shit this is triggering a really deep rage in me around the place where i feel unseen and unheard you know by the men in my life and then of course if you let yourself go into that rage that's also going to take you deeper into the grief so Like I said, to me, this is just a classic example of, like, Luke's provoking shit by virtue of being Luke. And then it's, like, for each individual, the choice becomes, do I—there are feelings getting stirred up in me in reaction to this guy. Do I stay with these feelings and look at, like, what this is revealing to me about me? Or do I instead just make Luke the target of all the feelings I don't want to feel— And let me just gossip about him and make him the bad guy and have fun about making fun of him, which, you know, we'll get there. But we see like we see everyone doing that for like, you know,
1: five minutes in the house. Well, it's interesting like that you bring that up about Sierra because I didn't even make that connection until you were just talking about it. How it basically is like a replica of maybe what she went through with her father and like like the her telling him like I don't like this woman I don't want you to get married to her and him doing it anyways and then her having to like push back ice him out he becomes the villain it brings her and her sister closer together Mm. probably to like be against him in some way and like not excusing that move on her dad's part like that's fucking shitty it sucks but like having that situation or like a a situation that has similar tones to that and the situation with Luke like it's like oh yeah this makes perfect sense and I think when you're in your 20s you're just not as introspective like you're gonna be more reactive and you're still playing out the patterns that you see then later in life as being like oh that's what that was and that's why I reacted that way and like this is something I do in this kind of situation and like What does that mean about me? And like, how do I feel about that? And how do I change that? And how do I not put myself around these people that trigger that kind of thing? But you're seeing her, you're seeing everyone at like different stages in their development.
2: Well, look, Lindsay's still not
1: mastering that. (laughs)
2: You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Lindsay's still playing out the same old (laughs) shit with the men in her life. But yeah, I mean, can you imagine, I mean, seriously, for Sierra, can you imagine how painful that must be for your father not to talk to you for years? I mean, and to have that feel, I mean, look, of course she can't dictate who her father dates and marries, but Mm -hmm. like, For her father to react by not speaking to her during her teenage years, that, I mean, I can only imagine it just must feel like such a deep sense of my father chose this other woman over me. And I just, I mean, that must be so, so deeply painful, you know? Yeah. It's,
1: yeah. I've had a similar situation almost to Sierra's like exactly where my dad got married to someone who I, I didn't know that it was going to happen until it was like the day before it was happening and then was like, please don't do this. Mm-hmm. And then it happened anyways. So, I mean, we still talked and stuff, <laughs> but like it was, I was like, damn, I really feel for her because it was hard in high school to like go through something like that
2: yeah that's why i'm not like i'm definitely not as hard on her as like no i'm not either i enjoy
1: i enjoy seeing like her dynamic as like a new member of the house and like as a younger person dealing with like these men who have arrested development (laughs) like intimacy issues etc i'm just like i enjoy her perspective on things but i also see it as like I think I give her, I don't want to take away her agency in a situation by just blaming her youth or whatever. But, like, I do think that that factors into it. To
2: oh, some totally. Extent. Totally. And like you said, they're also in the middle of a pandemic. And by the way, I mean, as someone, I, I've, I've had clients who have been, you know, frontline workers in COVID. And I, I, I'm not saying this is her necessarily, but I've definitely seen a pattern where, you know, a lot of these people who are on the front lines aren't giving themselves the time and space to really... Um, to really kind of process the toll it's taking on them. And so I wonder about mm-hmm. that for her. Like, I wonder how much of that she's still carrying. Has she really given herself the space to, like, you know, to integrate, like, everything that she's been through the last few months? You know, there's a lot going on.
1: Yeah, there's a lot going on. And then also with, like, all the Black Lives Matter stuff that's oh, going right. on during this time, too. It's just, like, an extra emotional toll, I'm sure. Even if it's, like even if you're in the Hamptons, like, living it up, you're still, it's still happening. Yeah, totally. Um, Luke, the next day, well, okay, let's talk actually about, like, Kyle in all of this because he, you and I had, like, texted a little bit offline, like, about Kyle's drinking and what that means. And, like, Kyle wakes up the next day after this, like, Lindsay uh versus the girls fight and has no idea what even had happened he had like passed out on the couch the girls kind of like poked him and blah 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 and then he went to bed and woke up the next day and amanda was like yeah last night was like crazy everyone was fighting and he was like what
2: (laughs) was this was was that the night where he had the where he wrote the little play about the passion fruit
0: yeah i I literally passion fruit i wrote down
2: Mm -hmm. that uh I wrote down that exact, I was so delighted by, um, he wrote like a little play, um, maybe it's not worth, <laughs> where is it? No,
1: he was like, it was like he was uh, LARPing as the Passion Fruit, being like, I'm Passion Fruit, what do I want? Everything. Yeah, that's what it was. Mm-hmm.
2: Hi, my name's Passion Fruit, what do you want? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, kyle drunk alone is probably one of my favorite summer house tropes of all time um anyway sorry what were you saying though
1: no i was just thinking about like his because he's a drinker like he mm-hmm. seems to he loves to get drunk. He's has Amanda on board with like his desire to get drunk on the weekends and supportive of that desire. And he's also created now a brand Uh and like a lifestyle that allows him to do that without kind of coming under fire for any sort of like substance abuse discussion or like alcoholism discussion. And it's interesting to see how he handles that versus how Carl has handled that. And like, granted, everyone has a different relationship with drinking.
2: Yeah, no, it's concerning, honestly. I mean, you know, when I talked about the first two seasons, those were because, you know, when you come in on seasons three and four, which is what I did, I think like a lot of people, those are the seasons where Kyle's making an active choice to curb his drinking for the sake of Amanda. So we meet him Mm -hmm. in what I would call... You know, in upswing, you know, and it seems like he's got things in check. And so it was interesting for me to go back to seasons one and two and really see him at the height of his, um, you know, of his binge drinking, the blacking out, the cheating, because I was like, like I said earlier, like, I really feel a rage. Underneath it, I feel this voice in him that really says, I will not fucking grow up and you can't make me. And that rage in him, I feel like, is is what's fueling. Like, I won't let this go. I mean, the fixation. I mean, you know, we all know the iconic summer should be fun and it's funny. But the fixation and I got to have my summers, which means I got to go to the Hamptons. I got to get drunk, which basically for him at this point just means kind of acting like an asshole and then sort of having monologues to himself like there really is no end point for this it's yeah. it's a fixate it's a fixation for the point of a fixation and so i think to see him kind of so what i experience as angrily and defiantly committed to this from the beginning and then he kind of has this moment where he curbs it but now to see where it's landing where it's like okay he did bring in some boundaries but what that looks like now is kind of like you know works hard during the week and then you're right with amanda's permission on the weekends he's just getting obliterated and you know i'll be honest I- i'm i'm a cookie monster or whatever you know whatever yeah. a, a kyle <laughs> fan is called you know mm-hmm. i love i love kyle but i will say especially rewatching these two episodes i was like he's actually a really obnoxious drunk and um it it concerns me like i i look at it and i'm like where is this going why is there such a fixation it doesn't feel like a casual relationship to me at all and i don't like labeling people at all uh but for the sake of having a shorthand language that we all use yeah it makes me really question like is this guy are we looking at a functional alcoholic And, um, you know, especially in the place where I do think there's a defiant boy in him who doesn't want to grow up and won't grow up. It makes me really wonder what would Kyle's life kind of be like and look like if he were to remove alcohol and if he weren't to have this fixation, where would that take him emotionally Uh, and also spiritually? Because I actually think he's a very spiritual guy. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, these are thoughts that I have for sure.
1: It's interesting to see... I think a part of it is produced or brought up for the sake of like having some sort of like produced tension on the show, if you will. But also part of it is like Amanda and Kyle are in a relationship that's moving towards marriage and eventually children and like building a life together. But Amanda is doing that thing of like dropping hints about wanting to have kids or going off birth control or having little cookie crumbs around. And it's interesting to try and reconcile kyle as we know him now versus dad kyle and i feel like maybe that drinking part of him or that defiant boy part of him is like soaking up those last minutes like it's like the it's like an indiana jones or something where like the the door is closing and they have just as much shot, like a little tiny amount of time to get out of the sliver before they're like trapped in the cave forever. And like, I think I view his drinking kind of like that where it's like, first it's relegated to weekends and then it's like one night a week. And then eventually he's like a dad who can't, he can't be like just getting shit faced and pissing off of the edge of everything anymore.
2: My concern about that, though, is like, then where does the rage go? You know, Mm -hmm. because I really do. It's almost like when I feel into him, it's almost like some early place where there was some boundary he didn't get to draw or some no he didn't get to have, some protest he wanted to have. And actually, like when I kind of talk about it, it feels like this boy because... It feels like this boy who's sort of looking around at the world around him and kind of saying, what the fuck is going on here? I mean, it's inter- we don't know that much about his family, but it is interesting. Like, we did learn one season that his mom was unfaithful to dad. And there have been these little comments here and there. He kind of says things like, well, my mom, like, she doesn't have a filter. She's like the kooky mom. And I I just always wonder, you know, I wonder about what his life was like growing up. Because I just, it, it's almost this sense of like, because we know how much he cares about the family, like whether it's his family or the family of Summer House, like his spirit feels like this is a guy who cares about the good of the group. And he Mm. wants the family unit getting along. I think Kyle wants things named. You know, that's part of what was coming through him in this thing with Luke. He wants things, like, owned, acknowledged. He wants everyone happy. He wants energy flowing. And so I can just see, like, this little boy maybe looking around at stuff and being like, what the fuck's going on here? I've got some (laughs) stuff to say. And maybe he got shut down there. I don't know. But I just feel this energy of this boy who... Something in him got shut down and he's like outraged about it. And so, yeah, now there's this defiant no. So it's like if it gets funneled into drinking and partying and then you take that away from him, it's like whack-a-mole. It's going to go somewhere else. And so I mm-hmm. just get concerned for him around where does that go? And, and does the anger get stronger as he gets older if he's not really dealing with it?
1: Fair point. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp.
3: Laura, what's the first thing you'd do if you had a little more time in the day?
1: Mm, I'd probably just spend even more time with Tony than I already do.
3: That's the best answer you could get.
1: I spend most of my life wishing that Tony and I had more time together on this planet.
3: It's scary to think about mortality and time passing. I do a lot of that.
1: Don't we know it? you know what can help when it comes to obsessive, intrusive thoughts about the passage of time and mortality and the fact that all of our dogs will die someday? What? Therapy.
3: Oh, I've been in therapy since my mid-20s and it's...
1: Um, I love the pub crawl that they decide to do. Um, where everyone has to decorate their rooms differently mm-hmm. and get into costumes and um, represent themselves, if you will. And because it also just like reveals a little bit about everyone's personality in a, like, a kind of a prescient way. Lindsay's room is first, and she is Florida. Which Hannah is like, she's unfortunately from Florida. So there's still like just a little <laughs> fuck you to Lindsay in there. She's and out of control. I know I'm over it. Um, Lindsay is Doris, the lover of Goombe smashes. I've never heard of these, but I love <laughs> like I loved her whole the energy that she brought to her Florida room and Doris. I feel like she'd be a good actress.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: she was yeah, like creating a was whole little it. backstory for her like she yeah. was into it
1: um Sierra her Atlanta her trap room which was just given the mess that her room like the perpetual mess of piles that her room has been I liked that the decorations also kind of reflected this
2: well I also love that she was on the phone talking about cleaning a room and she said and I quote I'm not good at that and I was like, huh. Oh. <laughs> she Fair knows enough. herself. Exactly. Yeah. It's like she owns it. it's just like, I, I mean, but I also just love the idea of like, I'm not good at cleaning. <laughs> it's like as if it's like a skill
1: it's it kind of is a skill because I know people that like have tried to clean and they actually end up making more of a mess when they clean then so I'm like I think it is like it's a a practice maybe more of a practice and less of a skill but another interesting thing for me with Sierra and Carl was when she's getting her room ready and she's like Carl I need like a tall guy like help me out and then he comes into her room and he's like what like He had, like, a damn girl you live like this moment with her. And I just love the juxtaposition because it's been established that Carl is, like, very clean Mm -hmm. and, like, keeps his shit, at least, like, his room very, very clean. So I was, like, I wonder where that could go. Like, could Carl be with a really messy
2: girl? I've always, like, kind of wondered if there's, like, a slight, um, like, obsessive compulsive vibe. To Carl, like not. I want to be clear, Mm -hmm. not because he cleans and make. I I actually make my bed every morning, so I've always appreciated that about him. But it's just always a vibe I get, kind of a little bit of like, I don't know, just a little OCD, checking, like looking in the mirror, checking things twice, making sure everything's in their place, like that kind of ruminating
1: on even like anxiety. Yeah, like my mind goes
2: in circles. I gotta make sure everything checks out. I don't know. It's just something that I've. Curious about for him
1: Mm -hmm. at this point with Luke just switching gears, like the groundwork has been laid like the night before with like a Luke and Lindsay maybe fucked or Luke is sketchy or like he and like now we see it really coming into fruition where just like and even the guys the night before guys' night were shitty to him, like they were making fun of him, like making comments, and you see more and more like passive aggressive comments coming through during this pub crawl and everyone now is like assuming their position in like the Luke attack like slowly like solidifying how they're gonna react to him and like we have um we go next to Carl's room and he's Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He only has water. He's really gone above and beyond with like bales of hay and like a background. And he's shaved his beard into like an Amish beard. And I was just like, I love like Carl getting on board with like a fun night like that. Um, Minnesota, Luke's room is next. And we saw him. One of my favorite tropes about Luke is that He's not actually very good at anything he tries mm-hmm. to do, but it's he amazing. does it anyway. So when he's getting ready for this night, we see him being like, okay, I'm going to go split wood. And then he just like can't split the wood. And it's like a perpetual struggle. And it's, it's been just every single thing we see him do, he's bad at.
2: It's like total Valerie Cherish energy to me. It's just mm-hmm. like totally unself <laughs> Um, You know, he's like, I always just think, Luke is like an affectation of a personality. He's like a collection of personality traits that he thinks makes a personality, but it feels like none of these things are actually suited to who he actually is. So he's just bad at all of them. And also he's so disconnected from himself and his an interior life that like, He's just the word that I always feel or hear for him is just like banal. It's just completely uninteresting. I mean, you know this. I've told you that my mm-hmm. my minor obsession is is trolling Luke's Twitter feed because if you ever like need to fall asleep at night or you just need a calming buzz, just go check out Luke's Twitter feed. It's just a collection of the most uninspired, ordinary like thoughts that you could ever um, ever imagine.
1: It's shocking that he feels so comfortable sharing those thoughts (laughs) with the world on like a, on like a large platform. But I also pray he never stops. Like I don't ever want him to know that his tweets are, terrible because they're terrible in like the best way and it really is like you have to know his personality to like know seeing him on the show and then seeing his tweets it's like oh this is amazing like this is so luke
2: i know it's like you might not you might wonder to yourself like what exactly is a bland tweet or what is a banal tweet Mm -hmm. that like truly says and gives us nothing and then you it's go to Luke's Twitter feed and you see exactly just Exactly <laughs>
1: his Twitter feed. Yeah.
2: <laughs> like no passionate stance about anything, no inherent attitude or flavor. It's just the most like it's like a prop of a Twitter feed.
0: It's like yeah. what it feels
2: like if we were making a movie and a character has to have a Twitter feed and you just want to put in the most generic tweets that you could ever mm-hmm. imagine. That's what Luke's Twitter feed is.
1: Like it's a it's I'm trying to think of like a banal tweet that I could it's like to I can't even think of one that he would say that because it just has more perspective and like than even him like his is like the stars are in the sky hash (laughs) like crazy to think that spacemen go up there at NASA. But it's not even that because that actually belies some sort of like wondering about the universe or something.
2: I think one of them was something, and again, I won't get the wording perfectly.
1: I'm looking them up now because I actually think I need, like, we need to read some.
2: (laughs) One of them was like, on the day of the inauguration, it's so nice to see all the presidents together. Hashtag inauguration. You know what I mean? Like, that was it. It was just
1: like. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, nice, nice
2: observation, Luke.
1: He said, yesterday was Happy Easter. He has risen. Hashtag Resurrection Sunday, which is the most... The biggest stance he's ever taken, I think, on Twitter <laughs> to date, which we also get. So he has Sierra stay behind in his Minnesota bar room after the rest of the cast decides to like take a break and go eat pasta upstairs. And this is where they have the conversation where she's like, don't text me after 9 p.m. And he goes, oh, Jesus Christ. And then looks at me goes, pardon my language, father. Yeah. And I was like, wait a second. Is Luke like? A diehard Christian? I hope
2: he is. It It kind of makes me more interested in him.
1: Yeah. Someone responded to that Easter tweet that said, Hallelujah and Amen. Happy Easter, Luke. Just now watching the fight scene on Summer House. Intense, bro. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad Luke has support. Yeah, he does a lot of hockey tweets. He... Yeah, and he gets, like, oh, man, he just doesn't, he gets, like, not very much interaction either, which is, I love that for when people are, like, legitimately famous and they tweet stuff and get, like, very minimal engagement is one of my, like, favorite things. No,
2: it's like a tumbleweed blows through his Twitter feed. People are not Mm -hmm. checking for for Luke's tweets
1: at all. They're not, and they really (laughs) should be. It's, It's truly, really good. Like his Twitter feed is
2: as lonely as his life feels. Mm-hmm. And I and I don't mean that I feel like that sounded so mean. I actually I, I I actually have a lot of compassion for Luke in the place where he feel he feels so alone to me. But uh his Twitter field feed feels very alone.
1: But he's a lonely guy, I think, by design in and he designs his own life to be that way. Oh, like, totally. he's choosing yeah. like even to embark on like a jewelry making business to me feels like the loneliest choice a man like him could make, like just, and knowing just seeing him build that subpar workstation outside of the house. And like, it's wobbly. And then it's like, you know, everyone else is like has jobs where they have to be like on their computer, or need like a certain level of silence to get through the day, knowing that he's going to be the guy like drilling stuff or like, like grinding metal together. It's just like you're like no one wants this energy in the house. You know what I mean? Like save your jewelry making for when you're back home in your studio.
2: And he's just so disconnected from himself and his own interior Mm. life that, you know, of course his experience is going to be lonely because he's a stranger to himself, you know? So there's no real way that he can have, I think an experience of meaningful connection with people because his very existence is one of disconnection
1: true he the cast then moves on to the next two rooms like or, or kyle and amanda's room and then they end up at club bed which is Paige and hannah's room which actually was like very i was like this is perfect like them making their room into like a vip nightclub with special areas you have to really try hard to get in like it was I just think everyone's room was very indicative of, like, their character in a lot of ways.
2: It's true. But can I just say one quick thing, which is because Hannah's supposed to be a comedian, right? Mm-hmm. And I just have to say, like, I was not impressed with her comedic skills at spa night when she was playing the role of spa owner. And I was also not impressed with her comedic performance as, the like, I think she says something like, where all your orgasms come true. And I just... I don't know. I just felt like Lindsay did a much better job of inhabiting a character that felt real and dynamic to me than mm-hmm. than Hannah.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that I have – I've had a – I just – I haven't even had I wouldn't even say I was going to say I've had a hard time with Hannah's comedy, but I haven't even had a time with it because I try just not I try kind of just not to engage with it that much because it <laughs> sours me from mm-hmm. liking her. And um, but it is it's kind of it shocks me at times what people who call themselves comedians, the kind of comedy they are doing on a day to day basis. And it's um, it's wild
2: ariana would not be i don't think ariana would be pleased with the (laughs) level of seriousness that hannah
1: ariana's take on (laughs) hannah's comedy as a a seasoned someone who has studied the ins and outs of comedy we we, know
2: we can get dodie and um hannah doing some improv and ariana can critique
1: like dodie is a comedian to me like more so than Hannah. Like I would like watch her. Even like Rachel O'Brien, I feel like is a is a better comedian. Mhm. In the world of like Bravo comedian. Hopeful. Even
2: um what was her name? Dana?
1: Dana, yeah. Mhm. Remember her. That I was like who <laughs> and then I remembered. I yeah, even Dana, I was like okay, like I can get I I you still you haven't made me lol but i can see where you could possibly go from here and i feel like there's hope like to be clear no no comed- no self-professed comedians on bravo have ever made me laugh but there's some have more hope than others
2: yes i would agree and i think hannah is at the bottom of that particular <laughs> totem pole <bowl. laughs>
1: Kyle and Carl go upstairs to talk shit about Luke and Lindsay and Luke have now stepped outside, which causes everyone to get like in a tizzy again. I think, and I've read on some of the Bravo, like Reddit message boards, the, the, the collective theory seems to be that everyone's really coked out at this point in time, which I could definitely see as like having a hand and why things get so heightened and aggressive. Um, But this is where everything just like breaks down because after Lindsay and Luke are outside, Luke goes upstairs and he runs into Kyle and Carl who are just like shit talking him. And then it just explodes from there. Carl accuses him of never owning his shit. Just say you ran tried to run game on two girls and it didn't work out and like move on kyle's like drunk as hell he's kind of has like a blank stare Mm -hmm. and um and then he goes into i believe what you called channeling where he is fully with the most on point read of the night
2: i okay this may be where i lose people this might be getting a little weird i think kyle and again this is someone's okay speaking about like groups, right? Because there is energy in groups and we all feel it, right? We feel what's going on in the house. There is this voice in the house around Luke. And I do think Kyle, I experience Kyle as what I would call a channel. Like I like to look at Kyle sometimes when he's not the center of attention. And if you pay attention to him and kind of feel into him, at least for me, it's like, I just see his eyes wide open all the time. And he feels (laughs) like this really just kind of like, clean, clear vessel who's sort of largely uncomplicated. And it just feels like information and impulses move through him. And I think he's very sensitive to what's going on in any given group. And again, this is a guy who cares about the group. And I'll just say for me, as someone who's very sensitive to energy, like when I am in groups, sometimes what will happen Is if there's something that's disowned that the group isn't claiming or feeling, I will literally... It's like having to go to the bathroom or having to throw up. Something will move through my body where I have to express the thing that's not being expressed. Now, because of who I am in my training, I do it with consciousness. And I say Mm -hmm. to myself, I'm feeling something that needs to be expressed. And I bring it out for the sake of the group. And then usually what happens is it does open stuff up. Kyle... I don't think is aware of this part of him. and I was just watching him because I really was sitting there like, what's Kyle's skin in this? Like why is he so charged around this? And I'm watching him take in the information. like you can literally see the wheels turning in his head. It's like something's processing in him. And yeah, he's drunk, he's lubricated, he's loose. And when he starts yelling, at Luke, I re- my vibe, honestly, was like, this guy is channeling an energy, and he's giving a voice to a voice that wants to come through this house, and it's just coming through him. That is really what I felt. Now, did he- I see he- that. Yeah. I mean, maybe he didn't do it in like, again, there was no consciousness around it. And I do think it started to trigger Kyle in his own places of, like, personal anger, especially when Luke came back at him. But to me, it felt like he was in a state of channeling. I mm, rest my case. No,
1: I'm I'm with you on that. <laughs> Points were made just now. Because <laughs> um, he says, I love you, but I can't handle your quest for power over females. And I mean... To be fair, it's all a projection too with him and with him and Carl, especially it's like we see that you're doing things that we have done in the past. We've had to like acknowledge that and like work on it to some extent. And then we see that you're not doing this and it makes us mad. But the only reason that they can see it so clearly and concisely is because they've done the same thing.
2: I also think I would conjecture, like I think part of what's going on with Carl too is that you know he has initiated this process for himself in terms of his deeper growth and healing. And I know, you know, I think whenever anyone starts a process like that, there's a way in which you just kind of like, okay, I'm turning over this new leaf. Everything's good. Everything's going to be fine. And we've seen Carl do this in season. It's Carl 2.0. It's Carl 3.0. I think he's someone who really wants to just sort of be different, be better. And I have to imagine. That at this point in time, especially with the death of his brother, that there's something in him that's starting to understand, like, yeah, I've started making these great changes in my life. And I'm only at the beginning of this journey and that there's Mm. something in him that's getting really agitated around like the anger around that and the powerlessness around that. And I think that kind of combined with the death of his brother, it's like I just that's part of the vibe I get off him of like. I am so fucking furious that like this isn't this isn't just sort of like the yellow brick road that's unfolding in front of me smoothly and easily, like I'm in a serious process that doesn't have an end in sight, and I do kind of also get the feeling that then him looking at Luke, who again, I think kind of presents as passive and sort of in a way kind of weak and mushy and sort of powerless in the victim, I think there's something maybe in Carl that's sort of looking at him. Almost seeing the parts of him that he would experience as powerless, as weak, as vulnerable. And it's just, like, making him furious.
1: hmm Yeah. And then Carl, at one point, just, like, walks out and decides to go to bed. And then Luke is, like, he runs out of the house or walks out of the house. And then he gets, like, hyped up outside. Like... <laughs> it's very like little boy who Mm -hmm. runs to the production crew to go like cry and stomp his feet at them. And then like he uses them to then get like fired up and feel like strong and going back and like having this confrontation with Kyle where, I mean, you expect if you don't know what's going to come out of his mouth, you expect him to go back in and be like, I mean, at least where I would go just personally if I was in this situation and someone had like read me like that would go back out, get fucking furious and then come back in with like a read of them and like escalate things in that way. But I love that Luke goes outside, gets furious, comes back in. And the second he opens his mouth, he just goes, you know what? I don't (laughs) like you. And I was like, that's it. That's all you have to say.
2: I know. It's so sad, right?
1: It was very sad, but also classic Luke. Like, it's very, it's just lukewarm at best. (laughs) I love
2: that. Lukewarm. That's great. Um, Yeah, it's funny because I was so interested in the house response, you know, moving into episode nine of people feeling like Luke's anger was so scary because his anger was not scary to me at all. I mean, I was just kind of like, I was like, is this because I, you know, I've done a lot of work with people, you know, I I have no problem being in the presence of anger and rage, but like, to me, it's just like you said, to me, it felt like kind of a little boy. I mean, his voice was actually breaking. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, I, to me, it did not feel like a frightening display of rage in any way, but I, I guess according to the others, they, they
1: were taken aback by it. Yeah, it didn't uh, didn't strike me as didn't strike terror into my heart. <laughs> but you know, when I wasn't in the house, so I don't know. Um, I but then we don't get like to, you. I don't like you. I'm like, all. okay, then fuck off. Like it's, it's so like sad. he's he makes it so easy to laugh at him. You know what I mean? Like.
2: That's what happens when you disown your strength and your power and your aggression. If you're someone who actually is like assertive and aggressive and you disown it, yeah, it's like people get fucking triggered by you and then they want to like, they want to take it out on you because you 're like withholding something by the way i 've been there, done that that 's who I was in a way, not like Luke, but you know i 'm someone with strong assertive energy, and you know because of my you know early experiences, I totally over identified with my fear and my anxiety, so i didn 't own my power i didn 't own my strength, and guess what I provoked a lot of people, and I could have I could have, like, you know, made it sound so good and told you why it's so. Un- which is what Luke ends up doing until fucking Carl comes in like a ninja and like pierces mm-hmm. through it. But you know, I know that place of like the way people treat me. It's unfair, and I didn't do anything. And da 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 da. It's like you own that strength inside you. People get pissed.
1: Yeah, I've. Um, I feel like I've had that too. Like thinking back to like my time at emotional growth boarding school and like feeling like being coming from like a victim mentality or like feeling like I was constantly being victimized by others around me. Like, and just how that never played out in, (laughs) in like a good way for me, like me, like anytime I was trying to like confront people and coming from that place, like I always ended up far more upset than, feeling like a sense of resolve or like actual communication with another person.
2: Well, cause those needs don't get met. You're just empowering yourself. You want, you want yeah. some need to get met as the victim, but as long as you're victimizing yourself, you're just going to stay the victim, you know, because that's mm-hmm. how the principle of creation works. This is energy. So if yeah. I'm victimizing myself, I'm always going to be the victim. And I think in hearing you speak like the most powerful thing Luke could ever do, I think is to get to know the part of himself that loves being a victim and just to identify and to feel the pleasure he gets from it and the sense of power he gets from it, because then he'll start to know his actual power, you know, and he'll start mm-hmm. to take responsibility for himself. But I mean, we'll get there. He kind of has a moment in this episode where it's like he. We'll get there. But he sort of well, has, Yeah, but yeah. he
1: doesn't he doesn't do he doesn't lean into an exploration of his like victim desires. No, he, he actually it, I think what actually happened and made him feel better about himself short term, but but it's also kind of inauthentic is to lean into like I'm such an angry man and I made everyone scared and I'm so scary because I'm a big angry man and like that is also it i guess is true for some of the cast members but it was also like not true
2: yeah no he totally found a way to revert back to being a victim but he did it in this way where it sounded like he was taking responsibility for himself so he was saying the right words but energetically he wasn't really that's the other thing he still he apologized to Sierra and Hannah But he still didn't take responsibility for what he did. Like, he never came out and said, yeah, you guys are right. You have a point. I was manipulative. There was something I was getting out of this. There's, like, parts of me I need to look at. It's, like, he kind of hid behind the drama of the outburst to Mm -hmm. kind of say what he needed to say. Again, kind of as a man. It was a mannequin of an apology. And it was Mm -hmm. sort of just enough to smooth things over. But he didn't really do the work. It's like things are sort of restored now. He, yeah. he, he was slick. I mean, he was slick. I feel like he tried to be slick earlier in the season. Sierra wasn't having it. Hannah wasn't having it. It brought him to this breaking point. And I guess there was enough of a drama that he could then sort of hide behind it. And his slickness came through again.
1: Well, I think everyone gets something out of the men fighting and throwing down in this way like it it threw it was like exciting for everyone in a lot of ways and even in like the talking heads moments that we saw like people's reactions like I didn't get the sense that it really made people feel unsafe like you had Amanda being like this is a pissing contest and it's we see Carl run out of his room in his underwear to go like prove that he's the big strong man which I was like Thank God for Carl running out of that room in his underwear. (laughs) He spent a lot of time at the end of episode eight and the beginning of episode nine in those briefs and I was in heaven watching him do some of his best work to date the best body work I've seen in the season
2: (laughs) you weren't the only one because Danielle god bless her was using this as her moment to like get in a potential hand job like no one I have ever seen and it was truly like the unsung moment of like both these episodes
1: I mean, the the most amazing thing was that Carl ran out, tried to fight, had to be held back, then ran back into his room to disappear behind a fake backdrop of hay. And then most of the action that took place in his room until he ripped that backdrop down was just us staring at a backdrop (laughs) with people behind it, which doesn't sound like it should be as compelling as it was. And then like, angry Carl in nothing but briefs and I'm sure he's like at half mast just from like all the blood rushing through his body like if I were Danielle I would say the exact same thing but I, I love I, that that's where her head goes is like are you okay what do you need I could give you a hand handjob if that's something you wanted I could maybe do that
2: I'm gonna read her exact quote because I wrote it down yeah, this is do, what she said please saying. do <laughs> Do you need anything? Do you need anything weird? If you need a hand job, I'll do like a weird moment. You look good in briefs. This is like haiku (laughs) level seduction. That's a
1: beautiful, yeah, a beautiful haiku level seduction at that. I could it's like, do a weird thing.
2: I'll do. I'll have like. A, I'll have like a weird. But I, what I love about this is that she's couching it in terms of what Carl might need. Like this isn't about mm-hmm. the fact that Danielle just clearly is attracted to him in this moment and horny yeah. wants to give him a hand job. It's like Carl, if you need a hand job, you know I'll have a weird moment with you, <laughs> but only mm-hmm. if you need it. You know it was, that was a masterful. It was a masterful move.
1: Yeah, it was beautiful. And then you have Amanda kind of running in. I just like the like. You have to be a certain level of fucked up to have watched all these men go through like almost get into like a physical altercation. And then one man runs back to his room and then there's kind of like a smush pile that takes place on his bed of just like decompressing from this like charged moment. And I was like, this feels like alcohol and drug mixture to me.
2: Well, and also going back to your original point, I think probably there was just a lot of discharge from just everything that was going on because it's like, yeah, there's sort of the interpersonal (laughs)
1: issues. (laughs) But
2: also like what is going on in the world, you know, and I just have to imagine, like it's interesting if you look at everything from like symbolism, isn't it interesting that this episode, like there's this energetic discharge with the group and then this is literally the episode where they have their first dinner out. Like there's kind of the sense almost of like space clearing and energy kind of flowing a little bit more. And maybe the group just needed, you know, it needed to like intent, like the energy's building, 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 and something just needed right. to be released, no pun intended, you
1: know? Yeah, they did need that. Um, I love Lindsay taking Kyle aside and thrusting oh. him in the bedroom and going, okay, we're going to do a bri- gratitude time. Gratitude. Pick three things that you're grateful for. And Kyle goes, sharks, friends, family. <laughs>
2: Classic
3: Kyle.
1: Yeah, classic. And Luke packs up and leaves. Um, I thought that he was talking a bit. Like, I didn't think that he was going to leave the house for good. Like, oh. I just didn't see that happening. Like, he's he's given us too much, and he's now integral to, like, the season. So it was all a ruse. Right. Um, But... I also enjoyed a glimpse of young Lindsay and her ROTC training.
2: (laughs) It was truly, it was like, um, I felt like it was like we were seeing the prequel, you know what I mean? Like, or the origin story of like, which by the way, I also want to put in a plug for, um, was so intrigued by Lindsay referencing her wild ways As a college graduate that caused her father not to, like, speak to her for a few minutes, I was like, what are those wild ways? But, yeah, I feel like we got a few glimpses into early Lindsay.
1: I pray she writes a book someday to, like, really enlighten us about, like, (laughs) the ROTC days into, like, post-college wild days because I need more Hubbard. Maybe
2: Road to Summerhouse.
1: Maybe, yeah. Road to Montauk. (laughs) She... I love her also like she physically like was screaming no and forced Kyle to the ground like so she is like one of the strongest people in the house I would say
2: in full Doris regalia, I mean, this was true. Mm. This felt like a Michael Mann movie to me. Like, I felt <laughs> like I was watching true. seeing like Lindsay Hubbard in her Doris Florida outfit. Like, yeah, just basically body checking sunburnt Kyle in this sort of cavernous, empty foyer, which does look straight out of like 80s Miami sort of coke den. Um, truly, I felt like I felt like I was something on the Criterion channel. Like, this is, this was is true high art.
1: Yeah, this is one of the best edited Bravo sequences I've ever seen. Like, from the start of episode, from, like, the fight that ends episode 8 into the first, like, 20 minutes of episode 9, I was on the edge of my seat, just, like, my jaw on the floor. I could not believe what I was watching. It was perfect.
2: Yeah. Yeah, they. I mean, they do a lot of great editing on the show because there's a lot of cutting back and forth and, you know, cutting around the house and they really... Uh...
1: But, yeah, and I guess, like, this show, they, the cast gives us all the... They give us a lot of, like, juicy drama and stuff, so there's no need for those. Remember when Vanderpump Rules started just, like, dissolving into, like, funny, like, Ugh. bits that they that the editors would do in lieu of actually having any sort of drama to edit? That was airing just some of my grievances the readers know about but like i love that when this show does those bits they do come across as funny because you also balance those out with like actual amazing moments from the cast because they do do that stuff sometimes like but it doesn't feel annoying to me when it happens
2: It must not feel annoying to me either because I honestly can't even remember when they've done it. Whereas in Vanderpump Rules, every time they do it, I just find myself, uh, yeah, I have contempt for it. I just feel like this is not, like, the cast should just be funny on their own. Like, don't, I don't need Mm -hmm. the editors to be
1: funny. No. Paige, after the, at the end of the night. Everyone kind of retires to their rooms to decompress. And Paige is on the phone with Perry. And then he's like, I love you. And she's like, hmm bye. And then she's <laughs> just like, ugh, I just am so bored. And Hannah's like, well, what's going on? Like, do you think it's just, like, you're tired of, like, FaceTiming or something? She's like, I feel like we've been married for 15 years. And I just... It's good to know that they broke up because this kind of thing was like unsustainable. Like, you can't, I don't think you can bounce back from a relationship if you're not on the show that your lover is on and you see them talking shit about you. I just don't know where you go from there. Also, she's been crying about this relationship since last summer, too. I mean, mm-hmm. not last summer. Like she's two never summers been ago. into this relationship.
2: But this is the thing about Paige. I feel like in the place where she is this kind of precious front page news like junior high school girl, I I personally don't think unconsciously she really wants a real relationship because I think if she were with someone who actually really excited her, she's going to have to feel actual embodied grown woman feelings. And she's not going to be able to stay on her little perch of power being above it all. I feel like, I just feel like, as you've said before, Paige kind of wants the front page news version of life. And Mm -hmm. so for me, that kind of precludes Any kind of real embodied relationship, because then Paige is going to have to get into the muck of her feelings. So I think it works perfectly for her that she I mean, in a way, she got what she wanted in the sense that Perry was kind of giving her this picture perfect life. You know, and she could kind of step right into a role. I think there is something in Paige that's agitated about it because something in her is crying to get out. You know, I think she does have feelings and mess in there that she wants to get out. But this is, this is what's going to kind of happen over and over as long as she wants to sort of be the Greek chorus of the world in life.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting because from an outsider's perspective, I look at her and Perry and I'm like, you seem very well matched. Like he has money. He, you look good together. He loves you and clearly cares about you a lot. Like he seems like secure and like, it seems like a good relationship on paper. So it's interesting. And I don't know if, I don't know if she said this on another podcast. I don't really typically listen to Bravo people on podcasts, but like I'm curious as to like why she felt like it wasn't right aside from just like being young and not wanting to like settle down at a young age.
2: Well, I think that's what she said on the show. It's kind of been like this uh, bind about, well, if I'm with him then this is it. And like, am I ready for that? But I do think it's interesting that like her attitude in that relationship very much kind of mirrors her attitude in the house. Like there's just this way in which she's kind of detached She's sort of over it. It doesn't feel like she's got much skin in the game. Like she just sort of seems more annoyed by everything than anything else. And so again, it's just like, for me, it is this experience of her on this perch of Mm -hmm. power where she doesn't really have to risk. And she's just sort of mildly annoyed and kind of low key shitty.
1: Yeah. Cause later on, she's like, I think it's like the next day she's like, Perry is freaking the fuck out. Like he's flipping out and Hannah's like, well, do you need to like call him and like talk about it? And she goes, no, he can just suck it the fuck up. And I was like, that's amazing. That's like cold as ice, but I kind of love that when women are like that.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I guess I can see that. I mean, for me, it just kind of, yeah, I I was definitely aware. Like you seem to have no concern for the fact that Mm -hmm. your partner is kind of saying some serious things about your relationship. So it's just like, what is this? I mean again, this is this is why I just feel like there're just these reserves of anger in Paige and it just comes out in this very kind of shitty, snotty sort of low-key way where it's like she does, she kind of pokes at people, she ices people out, she kind of rolls her eyes. Never any skin in the game though.
1: Yeah. Carl does us another favor of walking around in his briefs for the night vision cameras, which really just captured like the gloriousness of his body. And he takes to the bathroom for a phone call, a tearful phone call with his dad. And I just felt for him in that moment. Mm -hmm. And it, but it's interesting too. Like, I think everyone is aware like that Carl pushed it to the limit that night with Luke. Um, like, he was obviously drinking more and was drunk and potentially on, like, other substances. Who knows? But I just it's interesting to see, like, everyone's read on, like, how do we protect Carl or, like, how do we, like, their read on taking responsibility for his own, dis- for his decisions when it really is, like, him that's supposed to be the one doing it.
2: Exactly. Like, I didn't really feel like there was any responsibility for other people to take. And I felt like Carl's been very vocal that he's not he's not identifying as an alcoholic. He's not Mm. announcing that he's sober. He says he's like sober curious. So to me, it just kind of felt like Carl was making some decisions. And I think he learned something that night that, yeah, when he drinks. I, I think we all knew this, but it seems like Carl really front page news, you know, got the headline. Like when I drink, there's just a level of cruelty and aggression that comes out. So it just to me seemed like, yeah, you're on your journey. You just got some more information. Now let's see what you do with it.
1: Yeah. Like him processing it felt refreshing because he's like I don't like waking up with anxiety and like this hangover and then also like a moral hangover of like what happened the night before and like I haven't experienced that in a while and now I am experiencing that and like it's cool to see someone go through that in real time and like process it on the show
2: It gave me so much hope for him, honestly. The way that he processed what happened the next day gave me so much hope for him and his journey and just, yeah, his his willingness to reflect to have remorse to take responsibility for his part in things i just was like wow like this really to me because you know there are people on these shows who like turn over a new leaf or kind of decide to go on these journeys and you can feel the limitations uh, of it
1: jacks taylor
2: right <laughs> that would be kind of like the poster boy for like you know um the the most limited version of that but you know i was just like wow carl really seems like he's 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 taking things in and it just it gave me a lot of hope for him. It it really touched me. Actually, the whole way he dealt with like the aftermath of this really touched me.
1: Yeah, I thought it was like pretty mature. I also just loved him waking up with that Amish beard. <laughs> like him being sad in bed with an Amish beard. I was like, I've been there. I've been in the <laughs> like that exact place.
2: <laughs> You've had your own Amish, but especially because especially because the night before when he started going into that place of you're doing what I did and I want to help you. I was just like, Oh God. like that to me was such a warning sign. I was like, this doesn't feel good. like this is not a good sign for your kind of unfolding healing journey. If you've kind of like got this sort of pride and ego around, you know, like clearly if you're truly mm-hmm. doing your work, and getting to the bottom of things, you don't then look at someone else who's done similar things and, like, declare that, you know, get triggered by it, get agitated by it, and declare that it's your job to, like, help them see something. So just to yeah. see him go from that place of what, to me, felt like really bypassing something to the next day, kind of really returning back to himself, it just felt really good.
1: hmm Kyle also, it's funny, because Kyle switches and processes so quickly like it's like the next day he woke up and was like I understand like Luke probably felt like he was ganged up on like that wasn't fair and like it's full it's like not even defensive about anything it's just like I need to call him and like we need to have a talk and figure it out and I can apologize like I'm down to apologize to him like and that was interesting too because you don't see that that often as far as like fights are concerned on reality television
2: yeah this is what i'm saying it's like kyle i think yeah i think kyle does process things really quickly like i said i think he's like a in some ways like a clean clear vessel and things just sort of move through him quickly and there's a wisdom to him and um i also think this to me speaks to this notion i have that i don't think kyle was that personally charged by what was going i think he was swept up in a current of energy And then Mm -hmm. it was like he slept it off and then he could kind of step back and like say, oh, I see what's happening now. Oh, I got to take responsibility for something here, you know?
1: Yeah. And everyone seems to have a better perspective the day after all the shit goes down which leads me to get even more on board with your theory of just this was like energy that needed to be released and then once it was like released everyone could kind of move on in their own unique ways
2: i think at least in part yeah i think there was a buildup of tension that needed to be discharged for sure yeah
1: I think it's going to rebuild because we're going to see Dez come into the house. And I mean, Hannah and Dez's thing is truly wild to me. And her narrative that she's spinning with, like, the Dez thing is also insane because I'm like, I don't think that Luke told her. I think that the way that scene was edited was misleading. Like, I just have a feeling he was like, wow, if you started dating this oh. person, like, well, I don't think he was like, you need to slow down. Like, this no. isn't good for you. I did not get that sense at all that that's what he was saying. And for her to take that and then that's her narrative that she says all during club night was like, then he told me, like, I needed to just slow down. Like, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that is not. That was not what happened. Oh,
2: I'll do you one better. The way she recreates that scene is that she she went to him saying, Luke, I need to have boundaries with you. And that his response to that was, I think you need to slow your roll with this relationship. Like, that's how she communicated it. I was like, I literally went back and rewatched that scene because I was like, Mm -hmm. that's not how I remember that scene going at all. Total fabrication. Like, I mean, unless they edited it out, That scene was not Hannah going to Luke saying, you need to slow down. I need boundaries with you out of respect to Dez. That didn't happen at all. And in fact, when, when Luke said, you know, be careful, like slow your roll, Hannah responded in her typically kind of flirtatious way with him of like oh you jealous and i remember watching that scene and just kind of being repulsed by both of them that they're still playing this, this flirtatious game with each other but it was a flirtatious game and so the way that hannah is revising it to make luke i mean to use her words like kind of be like this toxic masculine predator i was like this there there are places in which Hannah actually feels a little dangerous to me in the way that she mm-hmm. revises things and really makes things up specifically to kind of weaponize stuff against yeah. people. It's 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 kind of disturbing to me actually.
1: Well, she puts words in their mouths and then tries to make it seem and I think I guess, like, I can't reference last season because I'm so, as soon as the season's over, I like forget everything that happened. But, like, this season to see what she did with Kyle, where the, like, don't talk about my family, like, you know what, never say my, never talk about my family, like that whole thing. And then this thing with Luke, I'm like, you're a liar, kind of. And you're the kind of person that uses those, like, flashy words like toxic masculinity and gaslighting and like abusive and emotionally manipulative in situations where they don't apply
2: yeah and i feel like the thing about hannah and in some ways i think she has this in common with luke is that um i don't think she really gives anything real thought or respect to the impact of the words that she uses in her actions. And I mean we did see this last season. I mean a big part of the drama between her and um Amanda and Paige is Amanda and Paige were saying to her, "Hannah, our behavior towards Luke is in large part because of what you say to us about him, about him being controlling and about being manipulative, and then you get mad at us." When we have your back in that way and, you know, seeing everything that's gone on since then, I totally believe them because I think Hannah is just someone who I think she just gets so, I think, I think Hannah on a fundamental level cannot tolerate her own emotional system her own feelings and she gets so kind of like whipped up into a frenzy and I think in that place she just says whatever she wants to say in the moment and I think she wants support in the moment and I don't think she takes seriously and really understands the impact of the things that she says and how they reverberate into the world around her and I just think I think for anyone that's dangerous, you know, to not let yourself feel the impact of your own. Work. I mean, it's like sort of like Dorinda from New York, too. It's like talk about someone who doesn't want to feel the impact of her own words and her own cruelty. It's like when someone's not willing to kind of sit still and really take in like, no, the things that I do and say actually impact others. Shit's going to go bad.
1: Mm-hmm. What do you think about the Lindsay pregnancy storyline of this episode?
2: sort of like a what's that term from basketball it's like a non-factor it just seems Mm -hmm. like I don't know I was like
1: of course she's not pregnant like there's I just don't see that as being like a actual possibility for this show to like broach that like that (laughs) seems like a line like a line too far or whatever so it's like a b storyline that you get like the pageantry around like her ordering the pregnancy test and having like a real conversation with Danielle of like would she have the baby? Would she not? And my favorite thing about the whole pregnancy thing was the bag that she ordered that the test came in (laughs) seemed to also have like a bottle of hot spot of the hot sauce and then a bunch of (laughs) spices that were ordered with it. So it was like a little bit of an artisanal grocery order Mm -hmm. and a pregnancy test.
2: Well, they were multitasking.
1: Yeah, and I just like that those spices like remained on the bed, like very in the mix, off to the side, like while they were discussing like what is going to happen with this pregnancy test.
2: Well, I will say this: this season of Summer House, there's a lot of prop work that I really appreciate specifically on the beds because when Luke I mean this is flashing forward but I noticed when Luke was breaking down in the bathroom with his sister and the camera was on the bed I just couldn't help but notice like his infamous hat replete with like feather (laughs) stuck into the just like sitting center stage on the bed as a silent witness to Luke's Mm -hmm. sort of breakdown and I, I appreciate all the props that are on the beds these days
1: it's all about the little, like, capturing the tiny details that add so much texture and, like, deeper meaning to kind of, like, the conversations that are being had and, like, the action that you're seeing unfold.
2: Especially this season, because they don't leave. I mean, it, this is truly mm-hmm. their home seven days a week. So every every object tells a story, whether it's Luke's hat or the artisanal spices or the bag of trash in the kitchen.
1: Yeah thankfully uh lucy Lindsay just is not pregnant um and that is wrapped up in a bow but also it is like a little teaser of what's to come which i'll get Mm -hmm. your read on because i have my own thoughts too oh i can't wait um down by the pool kyle asks sierra if her boobs are real and we have this Moment like of juxtaposition where everyone's like, You last night were going off at Luke about how he treats women, blah, blah, blah. And then today by the pool, you're talking to Sierra about whether or not her boobs are real. And I didn't even catch that as like, I mean, I didn't clock that as like a disrespectful moment or question or something that would make me like discount what Kyle was saying the night before.
2: No, not at all. I didn't take it the same way at all. And in fact, him yelling hot tamale uh, made me fall in (laughs) love with him all over again. He's just so like, I I don't know, to me, obviously, look, everything's in the eye of the beholder. His energy around it felt very kind of not necessarily objectifying. And it felt kind of almost innocent. It felt like the same energy of him asking about the girls shaving their buttholes. Like it just felt kind of curious. Curious. Yeah. And it didn't seem like sierra was bothered by it
1: yeah it seemed like everyone's just like lounging and joking around and having a fun like pool time talking about bodies and like that's what's gonna come up in that moment interesting that page is the person to like point that out ever the (laughs) potster.
2: i know seriously seriously look if there's Uh, ever a flaw to be found page is gonna root it it out
1: yeah Mm Um, Lindsay is on the phone with her dad and we get a little bit of her backstory of her relationship with her father and it's just it's heartwarming to see like the video footage of them kind of being on good terms and like just knowing that she has that good relationship in her life makes me happy for her. Um, I love I love seeing Lindsay's Family Like I love Aunt Rhonda calling mm. and checking in. I love her talking to her dad, like just observing her with those that she is closest to and that know her really well is fun <laughs> for me as a viewer. You know what's interesting about this cast um,
2: it really feels like I guess we don't really know about Luke necessarily, uh but all all the main players, even though they come from. Fractured families and, you know, quote unquote, fucked up families. They all seem like they come from families where they're really loved. In some way. Like, I feel like, you know, Amanda's parents really love her. Kyle's parents really love him. Carl's mother really loves her. And even Lindsay, she's got her aunt. She's got her dad. I just really was aware of that watching these two episodes because the group feels so heart-based in a way. And I think that's part of what makes Summer House so special. And just really kind of acknowledging, like, these people grew up, for whatever else they grew up with, it really feels like they all grew up with, like, a real strong sense of love.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that too. And Sierra with her mom, like I like seeing them FaceTime. Luke and Kyle proceed to talk on the driveway. And I love just like Luke has now, I think reverted back to like little boy lost where it's like, I don't want people to spy on us talking. So like come down to the driveway, which is like, it's like, well, you're being filmed anyway. (sighs) So like you have an audience whether you're talking on the back porch or you're talking on the driveway, but like whatever you need, we'll like, we'll make, we'll do it. So you feel comfortable. And I don't know. I was like, this feels, I was glad to see them talking it out and like, see, it was interesting to see the way that they like fold Luke back into like the house at large.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Luke milks it as much as he can. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Kyle takes responsibility. And, uh, I mean, it's hard. I really was ambivalent about Luke during these episodes because it's like you do see him defaulting back to this victim mode. And yet, and it's it's frustrating. But at the same time, you also really feel, like I said, just how disconnected he is from himself. And the stuff just feels, I don't think this guy knows what he's doing on any level. And so in that place, it's like, I get the frustration with him. And I also just get like, there's something really sad about how lost he is because he really is a stranger to his own self and he doesn't get it. He just doesn't get it.
1: No. And he might never get it. And that's just like, I guess like that can maybe work for someone. Like it'll be interest. I'm interested to see if, everyone can then gel with the fact that Luke will just be kind of like this clueless person and like maybe he just needs to not pursue any relationships with women in the house but he'll have like outside relationships with people he dates outside of the show that are not like core cast members but yeah i'm just like intrigued by everyone's like acceptance of him back i i liked his and carl's conversation where carl was like I fought with my brother a lot or like just talking about like male relationships and his own like his reaction to the like Luke situation and relating that back to like his own relationship with his brother or something felt more elevated to me. Well what I
2: what I loved about what Carl did in that conversation, you know, in this place where, you know, I guess again I felt like Luke was you know very much ready just to say i didn't deserve that you know playing the victim i just felt like carl what carl did that was so amazing was he just took responsibility for his own feelings and he just basically like very clearly very directly just let luke know like your anger scared me like your anger had an impact on me and what was amazing, like he didn't try to like argue with Luke he didn't try to convince Luke about anything he didn't try to make Luke see anything um he just stuck with your anger scared me and you know it was amazing cuz you could just see like that shifted something in Luke even though i think the window is open just a tiny bit cuz Luke is so limited in terms of what he could take in i think just for Luke to even have a moment where he kind of got snapped out of his victim narrative and he was willing to take in that his behavior actually did have an impact. on So there's an example of someone actually taking in the impact of his actions.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It just, it brought Luke into deeper connection with himself. And I just, I looked at that and I was like, wow, Carl really handled that so well in the place where he wasn't trying to in any way, like make Luke see something. It's just, look, this was my experience (laughs) take it or leave it and in that place Luke was able to take it and I thought it was quite beautiful
1: yeah there's something so powerful about Carl when he's like standing just in his truth and like being who he is without like without substances at play or like trying to posture as like this cool like party guy or whatever. That's so funny or blah, blah, blah. It's just like, wow, he, you see like the man that he is inside.
2: I mean, yeah, I was thinking about that for both Kyle and Carl. Cause they, I mean, they really were both. I felt like episode nine was the best of both Carl and Kyle. And I really Mm -hmm. just felt even more how these are two very powerful men who, um, really have huge hearts, they really care. And I just was like, if both these guys, and I think Carl at this point in some ways is more on his journey to this regard than Kyle. Cause I think Carl's truly been humbled this past year, especially with the death of his brother. But it's like, if these two guys could truly keep doing their inner work, you know, and, and, and integrate these disowned aspects of themselves, I just feel like there's so much that they have to give to the world. I really do. And, um, yeah i just i was touched by both of them i really felt both of their love and both of how much they have to offer you know if they chose to to offer it totally Lindsay too and even a man i mean it's 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 a strong group it's a strong
1: Mm -hmm. group you know i mean they all have something amazing to offer
2: they really do, and maybe that is, you know, because I know there's a lot of talk about the difference between this and Vanderpump Rules, and I know that's been covered. But there's, the, it's, it's, there's something really bright and strong inward, in, in on an interior level to this group and their,
1: and their, in their souls. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm grateful for Danielle that she's found a man and. Who's A, a chef, which is like the fucking jackpot, but also B, a man that watches tons of Sex in the City, maybe more than she does. I was like, that is a keeper, in my opinion.
2: And I have to say, I want to give credit to Danielle that I actually think she consistently lands. I mean, of course, this is subjective, but to my taste... The most attractive man. I mean, do you remember when she was with that guy? I think it was Hannah's friend, Max. I think that was maybe season three, this British guy who she had a fling with. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I always wonder, you want justice for jewels. I'm just like, what happened with Max? That guy was a catch. But um, Robert, is that his name? Robert, the the chef? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he seems like a catch. I'm excited for Robert's arrival. I want to know more about this sensitive chef.
1: Me too. I can't wait for him to be at the house and the person that I actually don't want at the house at all but I do want at the house is Des because I'm already I'm already like having secondhand embarrassment from this entire relationship like the phone sex snippets the like it's it's just so much so fast and like and then just the effusive like Hannah just being like just so effusive about like this guy that she met that she's been talking to like on FaceTime for a month or whatever. And she goes, the great thing about dating a comedian is that they're so great with words. <laughs> and I was just like, Oh, like my, I turned to a pile of dust at that comment. <laughs> I was
2: wishing at that point that they would flash back to like some of their phone sex moments where he's just like, mm-hmm. Oh, this, this isn't a penis showing moment. <laughs> it's like, um, yeah. does, it seems to me like he's going to come in really hot it feels like he's got something to prove and um, their whole relationship at this point feels very performative for sure. Like they want the world to be seeing and hearing their love story, but I'm ready for it. Like I'm ready. I'm ready for
1: what he's going to bring to the mix and where this goes. Me too. I think it's going to be great. And I'm, I hope that there is some sort of come to Jesus moment about like the Hannah and Luke. And Des timeline and just how like disingenuous the Hannah taking offense at like and feeling manipulated by Luke narrative truly was. Yeah.
2: Yeah, we'll see. I mean, you, you, one thing about Bravo, I, I think they're really good at kind of withholding some of their greatest moments. So I I I feel like a lot of their best material doesn't even get glimpsed in previews. So I, I always mm-hmm. have this feeling of like we have no idea what's to come in the rest of the season.
1: Yeah. We have they finally get out of the house to have espresso martinis (laughs) out in public at like a group table, which I was just like really happy for them in this moment that they get to have like all the espresso martinis their heart's desire. And we have this interesting like intercuts of Amanda and Kyle having this like beautiful moment where Kyle's like, Oh, I did kind of forget like our two year engagement is today, but like, I'm going to have this moment where I like reproposed her and it's very sweet and like feels really genuine. And I was also very impressed by the flowers that he got her. I was like, those are beautiful flowers. Like mm-hmm. Stravi could learn a thing or two about flowers. Cause <laughs> I've Stravi. been historically deeply unimpressed by his flower choices i did think that the flowers the lilies that he sent Lindsay, were pretty but the note was subpar he wrote a note that he said thank you for all that you do which is not (laughs) what i want to hear from like a love interest
2: he tries
1: he's trying but i really (laughs) and we see him now he's I guess gotten a secret plan to roll up to the house and do this kind of big say anything like declaration of love moment to Lindsay where he arranges fake tea lights in the form of something that says I heart you and has like a boom box. And I'm just like, and he also has another bouquet of just subpar subpar <laughs> flowers. And I'm like, this is not like, Lindsay may act like this is great and like this is what she wants. This is not what Lindsay wants, nor what it's not what she deserves either.
2: I was just sad because it's like, I was sad for both of them because it's like, okay, he's doing a grand gesture, regardless of whether or not it's actually grand. He's doing his version of a grand gesture. Mm. It seems from what we've seen that Lindsay is like, you know, she's clearly starting to fall for the flowers. She's w- opening her heart back up to him. And I'm just like, I just look at them both and I'm like, you guys, you haven't fixed anything. Like you haven't dealt with the fundamental issues and you're just setting yourselves up. I mean, you already went down this road. Lindsay, you've literally said it that at the start of the relationship, he wooed you and then he became a different guy, which by the way to me just kind of feels like a superficial um, analysis of like what's wrong in the relationship. But regardless, like you're just going down the same road again. You haven't actually resolved anything. So to me, I just sort of feel this sort of kind of like this apprehensive, compassionate sense of like doom of just like you guys, why are you setting yourselves up to go down the exact same road once again?
1: Yeah, I feel like... I feel like their relationship, even when it started, I was like, oh, I don't think these people are a very good match for each other. And I really think it's the kind of thing that's perpetuated by her fear of aging and not aging according to her, like, grand plan or what, following the same path as those around her that she, she – not following the same path that she sees those around her following. And it's born more out of like stress around that, like her desire to stay in this relationship or be intrigued by it or even give mm-hmm. it like a second chance is more driven by those anxieties than actually being like, I'm in love with this person and want to spend the rest of my life with them.
2: I mean, it's interesting you say that because it's like my thing with Lindsay is always just that. um like, just in terms of the way that she interacts with these men, and I actually, if you do end up going and rewatching or watching season one i I do think it's interesting to watch her relationship with everett um mm-hmm. who's who's wild everett's a wild personality um. But, um, you know, she just goes from zero to 60 so fast. And, like, there's no will. It, like, so even with that dinner that Stravi made for her, which I, I, I was kind of on her side with that. Like, I
3: understood yeah. her
2: disappointment. But it's like with Lindsay. So she. OK, so Lindsay takes in this experience of like, OK, I'm disappointed, you know, and rather than kind of sitting with that experience of like, I'm disappointed. Let me kind of bring my disappointment out and express this, but also kind of hear what he has to say and like where he's coming from. And let's navigate this together. Lindsay just goes in for the kill. And I, you know, my feeling around that's always been like, it's like Lindsay goes in for the kill because to me, it almost feels like if she lets herself slow down and actually get into relationship with her feelings and his feelings and kind of modulate the experience my feeling for her is that's actually the place where she could then get really hurt because like Stravi could then leave her and that would really, um, you know, truly trigger the abandonment wound. So when she goes in so fast, it's kind of her way. I mean, you know, just to say it really simply of like driving these guys away and it's like, yes, they've left, but there's a way in which, she's controlled it. So she doesn't have to like feel that pain. So I just say all this because part of what I'm hearing you say, it's almost like she rushed into things with Stravi because there's also this additional um, anxiety about the timeline. And it's almost like, I just feel for like Lindsay, What I want for her on every level is just the willingness to slow down. I mean, I even think about that in terms of how she says she likes to be the sexual aggressor. I just feel this energy in her that she just wants to be all over the guy because I think for her, there's something about slowness. And taking her time, that's so hard for her to tolerate because I do think that's the place where she could get rejected again and she's not willing to truly feel that. So, yeah, like, can she drop the timeline? Can she slow down the pace of her relationships? When she finds herself activated, could she slow down there and actually, like, have the activation? Because I do think there's wisdom. In the stuff that she feels. But when she goes so fast to activation mode and starts spinning out, she kind of loses any high ground because she's acting like a crazy person and then they get to act out this very superficial drama about her moods and whatnot um so this is just all a very roundabout way of agreeing with you and just sort of saying like i think the note for Lindsay is what would it mean for you to slow the f down in relationship to men on all fronts and yes risk it risk getting hurt in a really deep and profound way
1: yeah, and and just to piggyback on what you were saying, I think the even introduction of a guy like Strabby is someone that she kind of knew that she might not ever really be able to feel super deeply about, but just did check the boxes. And so that was good enough for her to like move forward because that eliminates any sort of chance of getting hurt, like yeah. really, really hurt and abandoned in a big way.
2: Exactly, I mean, I think it's sort of like the 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 theme that I see between the different guys. It's like she tends to draw on these guys who um like they are scared of their own feelings and really emotionally shut down, so they're like emotionally compartmentalized, but then Lindsay is like emotionally wild, and so it's sort of like this yin and yang where it's like you've got Lindsay getting super activated which works for them because it becomes like a great reason for them to shut down. And then when they shut down, withdraw, it works for Lindsay because it gives her a reason to sort of be her cyclone. And I just feel like all these relationships, because the truth is I kind of, even though, I mean, again, Everett's kind of insane, but part of me sort of loved him. I I kind of just felt like they, they loved each other. I think they really cared about each other. And part of me could see Lindsay with an Everett, but I was like, Everett has to be willing to hold Lindsay in her emotional processes without shutting her down. But Lindsay also has to be willing to like hear Everett and again to slow down. And I think that it's almost like Lindsay, the key for Lindsay is like her abandonment stuff gets activated. And what she then, what, where she goes with that is she wants these guys in some ways, to sort of tiptoe around her abandonment issues and do and say all the right things to cater to her abandonment issues. And in some ways, for them to, like, heal this wound from her mother... And it's like she doesn't understand that's not anyone else's job. And she's getting into trouble by letting herself get activated in that way. And so it's like for her, if she could be willing, yes, let yourself have your disappointment with Stravi. But then rather than getting so activated in this place of like, you're doing it wrong and you've got to do it better to make me feel better. It's like, no, can I sit with the discomfort? Of my disappointment and bring this to him. And then, like I said before, hear what he has to say and understand these abandonment issues that are getting triggered. That has nothing to do with the present day situation. And that's for me to kind of feel and to like integrate and to not visit on these men. It's like too much of a demand to put on anyone. Um, so there's kind of uh there's a discernment here, I think for Lindsay of like discerning between like, yeah, what are the actual feelings coming up in relationship to these men? And then how do I slow down enough to not go into an activation mode, which is really AKA my inner child trying to get some sort of core childhood need met that really no one else has any business meeting in me. Cause they're not my mom and they're not going to heal that for me. Yeah. So
1: true. Does that make sense? <sighs> No, that makes total sense. Um, thank you so much for being my guest today, I'm, like doing a fucking marathon of a pod with me. I always appreciate your insights. It's so good to have like your perspective and breakdown, so thanks for taking the time.
2: Oh my god, it was my pleasure. I uh, uh yeah, it was just my pleasure. I I feel like I uh I love your insights and uh you know, I've told you this before, just the depth Uh, with which you go into these shows is definitely a boon for me. So it's an absolute joy to be here and to go on this ride with you.
1: Tell everyone where they can find you
2: well you should definitely follow me on instagram it's just my name jamie stein j-a-m-i-e-s-t-e-i-n there's definitely tons of bravo related content there um and then you know if you're curious about the work i do head over to my website hollywoodreadings.com and you can email me i i kind of have uh certain windows where i uh book new sessions but you can let me know if you're interested and we can chat and then i will say um that i am i believe tomorrow i'm gonna officially drop my own podcast deep dive with jamie stein and i'm gonna kind of unroll the first four episodes over the course of this next week one of which is with you where yes, we're just you guys have to listen We're dismantling season 10 of RHOBH and just what the F happened with all that. So um, if you like what you heard today and want to hear more, um, check out my podcast, Deep Dive with Jamie Stein.
1: I love it. Um, Check out Jamie's podcast. You can follow me at Lars Marie. You can get bonus content at patreon.com slash sexy unique podcast. And until next time, love and light. Bye.